This podcast is brought to you by CDKeyOffers.com. Use offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off Windows codes and die shrink for 3% off everything on the website. All right, let's get to the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and I am joined today, as I am every other week, by my co-host, Dan. How you doing, Dan? Eh, I'm pretty good, I guess. The semester's starting up, so we'll see how uh, how that goes. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I would say the news season, if you will, for the hardware market is definitely picking up at the about the same time it did last year where it was just a complete flurry i mean to be honest for those listening i didn't pay as much attention to like xbox and playstation news this week like i know wasn't there gamescom and something else as well but i just with hot chips and everything around hot chips like intel had stuff before hot chips and after and everything else going on i just haven't had really any time to look at half of the stuff coming out but you know we'll, we'll see how long this episode gets it's I know you would agree, like the news is, it's picking up. Yeah, I mean, I would say there was uh, pretty big <laughs> news from Intel this week. I, and as far as like gaming goes with uh, Microsoft and Sony, there doesn't seem to be all that much lately, really. So, I mean, it, it's fine if we go a week without talking about them. What, what I always find funny when there is a somewhat of a lull in a type of news, whether it's AMD, NVIDIA, Sony, Microsoft is like the websites or podcasts that seem to only for some reason talk about AMD or only talk about Sony. The stuff they talk about for an hour becomes really interesting to me. Like I think, and I'm not even gonna put a link in the description because I don't want to look it up. I think, I mean, we've been talking about how Sony's redesigning the PS5. Like the amount of like hot takes coming out about what is kind of really a non-story, like the logical redesigns you get of Xboxes and Playstations as they find ways to make it cheaper without affecting performance. It's I, Am I wrong? That's been going on right now, and it's all anyone's talking about in that space because for some reason they only talk about PlayStation at some channels? Yeah, there's a the, the PS5, which it's not as dumb as I thought it was initially. The A new model of the PS5 came out, and not new... Well, I, a new like model. Sony number. would say it's a new model internally because it's technically new parts required to make it. But from the consumer yeah. perspective, it's not. Yeah, and like the big story at first was that they replaced the screw that you like put in the bottom of the <laughs> yeah, stand. That's right. There were entire articles about a screw, and like a few people have taken the the new ones apart now to figure out what the difference is, and like it has this different redesigned heatsink. So there's a bit of a story there. But before that happened, people were just like, I don't know. There's a new screw in there. I guess. I guess we have to write a story about this. Well, and that's the type of thing where it's easy to make a clickbait. Like you could just do a picture of a new screw and show two pictures on the headline of differences and be like new model differences in PS5 found. And people are like, ooh, and it's like they moved a screw. Yeah. <laughs> Tragaholic writes in, just like anyone supporting us on Patreon can. And he says, this is a question for Dan. Hi, Dan. How are you? 
As I'm writing this, there's a hurricane making its way to the northeast. You doing all right? Staying dry? Uh, I would say it was the wimpiest hurricane ever. So, yeah, like it rained kind of hard for a day and that was about it. So I I, I made it through uh, Hurricane Henry. Yeah, I saw some people in the Discord saying it looks like you and Nashville, Tom, is are going to get you know, some of those hurricane rains for once. And I'm like, mm, no, when we lived in Illinois, Dan, we just, there was always like a hurricane few days or week. There, like hurricane season, it hits the Midwest everywhere eventually. Yeah, well, there was, um, there was, a, it, I believe it was in the Nashville area, there was like a, a, yeah, a freak, there like was a, just a freak flood accident that a- happened to coincide with Hurricane Henry hitting the Northeast, which was way, way worse than Hurricane Henry, which I don't yeah. even... I don't even know, like, I'm not a meteorologist. I don't know how that was recategorized to a category one because I've I've lived in the Northeast for three years now. And, you know, every time there's a hurricane, it does end up affecting you a little bit. Uh, And I would say this has been like the most mild hurricane I've quote unquote lived through at this point. Yeah. Sarcastro writes in and he says, Tom and Dan, using your wonder twin powers, which is more likely to happen first, a third person manimal PC game or a gene splicing making manimal reality. So you're a geneticist, Dan. And I would say, wouldn't you, could you argue Spore was almost a gene splicing game? And I think there was another one too. Uh, was there another one after Spore? Well, G- well Spore, Spore, is one. Spore isn't really a gene splicing game, but I think a lot of the themes of like making a creature of different body parts that you think would work well survive in a survivability manner is kind of what you would do in a manimal game. Yeah, and, and the, they, they tried to do some interesting stuff with like having evolution be in a game, even though <laughs> it wasn't super realistic to how evolution works but i thought it was fun it was fun but uh (laughs) i would say i would say a third person manimal game is more likely than manimal becoming a reality though unfortunately yeah i mean depending on your perspective that's i guess i i don't know i guess that's almost a little surprising though that there hasn't been like to my memory and i'm sure people will write in i i'm uh, in the back of my mind, I'm pretty sure there were a couple like gene splicing games with like animal stuff. Um, you could almost argue Bioshock got into that a little bit, actually, with some of the attacks. But I would say it is a little surprising there wasn't a bigger AAA game yet where like you truly like can just have like a shark head or something like something <laughs> like that. Because like, that seems like an obvious sort of RPG game to make. I, yeah, I, I mean, I could see it happening. It's just... It would be a, a bit of a weird outside the box game, so I don't know if a triple A game. Probably would think a to double do it first. A game is what yeah. would do it first, or something. And but you're saying that's much more likely before I can just add gills to my neck or something. I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe I'm wrong. Write in if you write in if we're wrong. Write in if you're if you can prove making a man a person with gills. Yeah, but you don't think so. I don't think so. QXE writes him. Hey Tom, do you like Minecraft? Yes. No, I mean, me, oh. <laughs> me and Dan um, did an entire die shrink about Minecraft that was voted on when we, like, because, you know, we talk about science stuff every now and then, often hardware stuff that can't make it into broken silicons or main videos I do. But then we also talk about our favorite games and also just impactful games that we played. You know, we did one on Halo. Um, I, I, 
Minecraft was one of them. And that was, I believe, the most popular voted on one by the community of the games to cover in one yeah. of our rounds of voting. So QXE, we like Minecraft. We did a whole podcast on it. Minecraft's dope. Play it if you haven't played it. And remember, everybody, if you're listening to this as if you're listening to this and you're a patron, um, yeah, at any level, you can go back and listen to all the old die shrinks. So don't don't miss those out. I know QXC is one of the newer people. So just an FYI. All right. So that was the opening questions. Let us now get into corrections and omissions. SNES Calmers writes in and says, in Broken Silicon 114, you mentioned that Arcturus is launching in 2021. I believe Ald, Aldebaran, hope I said that right, is the correct name for the MI200 CDNA2 MCM accelerator coming this year, to which I say, yeah, I, I just said Arcturus because I have, I've, again, like I had an Arcturus leak, I think two years ago. And then I tweeted out details about MI200 and I've had little snippets of it and content here and there. Mm-hmm. I really haven't paid much attention to CDNA. I'm going to level with you guys. The second you remove those video outputs, I just, my brain doesn't pay that much attention anymore. Yeah. It, it, in, a, in a certain way, like it's only really very interesting for the, in the purview of like this channel, uh, if it has some implications in gaming. A which, gaming hardware podcast is what we say. Yeah. Yeah. So I can see why eyes would glaze over for most people that like gaming hardware. And it's not that they gla- uh, glaze over. It's just like, I mean, look at the amount of videos we've done in the past week. There's no shortage of things to talk about that are even ancillary related to gaming. So if it's just like not ever going to be used at all, you can game on a Xeon technically. You know, if it's not yeah. ever going to be used for gaming at all, it's just not at the front of the list in terms of things to talk about. I mean, there's been a lot of leaks about MI200 that I saw and I was like, oh yeah, I knew that part of it. Oh, well, <laughs> it's just, yeah. there's only so much you can do. And, but that is definitely something I said wrong. You know, <laughs> um, Tragaholic writes in, hi, Tom, in a recent podcast, you mentioned price increases for raw materials, including precious metals. This is actually not the case. As a gold silver enthusiast, the prices have been some of the slowest to gain in the past couple of years, with silver being the only commodity below its 1980 high. Jesus. Yeah, I know someone I follow who's like, he's like, I'm just going to melt down my silver and make silverware because I don't know what we're doing anymore. <laughs> but continuing, he goes, not even adjusting for inflation, by the way. And even though gold, re- oh, geez, that's really bad then. And even though gold is reaching an all-time high not too long ago, it's getting are below official inflation numbers. This particular market is very strange, and I expect the prices to break free at some point. They might, but I would argue it's almost like some other asset that's emerged recently is replacing the point of gold in terms of storing value. What online internet currency have I been talking about that might be usurping gold in terms of... Zcash. Oh, wait, Bitcoin. (laughs) Not Zcash, which... (laughs) Please, Dan, we try to stay away from shit coins on this. I'm sorry. But anyways, Tragaholic, uh, I was referencing copper um, and other metals that are precious. Gold and silver are not the only precious metals. Although I guess you would say that's certainly the first things that come to mind when people bring up precious metals. So I understand that I probably could have been more clear with that. Yeah, I mean, and... There's some other are, are there there's some other rare metals that go into oh hardware, yeah right? well well I mean a lot of those do gold does it's just yeah, not yeah. you know copper is the main one right now based on what I'm told and and I think there, no there's a few others as well I don't want to say them 
But like, I don't know if it was Nickel or saying there's let's there's other ones as well. There's like there's a lot of metal shortages, and you might say some of those aren't precious, but eh, I don't know. Like a copper, I consider a precious metal. It's it's not very expensive, I guess. It's but it has it has uh, gone up uh, like forty percent in price in the past year. But it's only it's only four four dollars and twenty cents per pound. So not very expensive. Well, relative to gold, right? But it's yeah. still that's a lot per pound compared to some metals where it's just like, I mean, there's no yeah. point in even shipping it sometimes. Like they like what was it? I'm trying to remember. There was like some example of like a factory that was it was more it was more profitable to literally build an entirely new factory next to like where something like aluminum or something is mined than to ship the aluminum. <laughs> I don't know if it was aluminum and I don't remember what it was, but I like that's how less precious those are compared to copper. Yeah. All right. Let us move on then to story number one Intel Architecture Day, a sneak peek at the Z HPG GPU architecture and Z super sampling. And I'm this is quite a write up here. This is from Anantech's coverage of Intel's Architecture Day. For Intel's 2021 Architecture Day presentations, the yin to the CPU company's traditional yang is GPUs. And that was definitely true this year. Intel has finally opened up the information spigot. On Monday, we found out the name of Intel's first ZHPG architecture, Alchemist. The Alchemist family will be used to drive the 2022 generation of products and will be comprised of at least two distinct GPU configurations. Alchemist, in turn, will be a fully modern GPU architecture, supporting not just ray tracing as previously revealed, but the rest of the DirectX 12 Ultimate feature set as well, meaning mesh shaders, variable rate shading, tier two, by the way, and sampler feedback. Each Z core contains 16 vector units, each of which in turn can process 256 bits per cycle. Breaking this down to the more fundamental level, this works out to eight FP32 ALUs per vector engine, making each vector engine roughly analogous to an, a Z low power execution unit. And with 16 such vector engines per Z core, this means a single Z core should be able to process 128 FP32 operations per clock. To once again lean on our NVIDIA SM analogy, this is the same throughput per clock as Ampere, as an Ampere SM. More interesting still is that, comparatively speaking, Intel seems to be dedicating an even larger percentage of their hardware to matrix math than NVIDIA with Ampere. While Intel and NVIDIA are matched in vector throughput at 128 FP32 operations per SM or Z core, Intel is offering twice the matrix math throughput, thus has dedicated twice as many ALUs to the task, all of which means that Intel is seemingly betting big on matrix math and neural network AI processing being a driving need going forward in graphics. Just how Intel intends to fill them remains to be seen, but certainly a part of that equation will be Intel Z super sampling ZSS technology. The company's image upscaling technology will rely in part on neural networking models, which in turn will be able to run on the matrix engines. Z super sampling, oh no, pronounced X-E-S-S, so I guess there it is. Officially, <laughs> I'm saying Z wrong. Is at a high level, a combination spatial and temporal AI imaging upscaling technique, which uses trained neural networks to integrate both image and motion data in order to produce a superior, higher resolution image. This is a field of research that has seen a great deal of research in the past half decade and was brought to the forefront of the consumer space a couple years ago by NVIDIA with their DLSS technology. 
Intel's XCSS technology in turn is designed to address similar use cases and from a technical perspective, ends up looking a lot like NVIDIA's current DLSS 2.0 technology. Intel seems to have gone in a similar direction to NVIDIA's second attempt at DLSS, which is to say they're using a combination of spatial data, neighboring pixels, and temporal data, motion vectors from previous frames, to feed a seemingly generic neural network that has been pre-trained to upscale frames from video games. Like many other aspects of today's GPU-related announcements, Intel isn't going into too much detail, so there are plenty of outstanding questions about how ZSS handles ghosting, aliasing, and other artifacts that can arise from these upscaling solutions. With that said, what Intel is promising isn't something that's out of their reach if they've done their homework. At first glance, the image quality of ZSS is good. In some respects, this is Ian Cutras here, it's almost suspiciously good, as Elon quickly picked up on. The clarification of the ventilation text in above nearly rivals the native 4K renderer, making it massively clearer than the illegible mess on the original 1080p frame. This is solid evidence, then, if it turns out to be this good, that Intel is doing something outside the scope of image upscaling to improve texture Clarity. And as many have expected, and by the way, everybody, Moore's Law is that exclusively leaked one year ago, Intel is indeed turning to TSMC to fab their gaming GPU, and they will be using TSMC's N6 process to do it. We're the ones that said that, Dan. <laughs> Given <laughs> Intel's quarter one 2022 release timeframe, Intel's Alchemist GPU will almost certainly be the most advanced consumer GPU on the market with respect to manufacturing technology. Then Alchemist will go up against AMD's Navi 2X chips built on N7 and NVIDIA's Ampere GA100 chips built on Samsung's 8 nanometer LPP. That said, as AMD can attest to, there's more to being competitive in the consumer GPU market, just having a better node. So so Intel's architecture team still needs to deliver here to make the first generation of ARC products successful. Ultimately, in conjunction with the use of TSMC's N6 process, Intel is reporting that they've improved both their power efficiency and their clock speeds at a given voltage by 50% compared to their DG1 chips. Note that this is the sum total of all of their improvements, process, logic, circuit, and architecture. So it's not clear how much of this comes from the jump to N6 from Intel's own 10 nanometer and how much comes from other optimizations. But either way, Intel's going to need everything they can get to compete. Meanwhile, a 50% clock speed uplift over ZLP would put Intel's clock speeds at roughly 2.4 gigahertz, which, by the way, is what I reported they would be early this year, everybody. That would be somewhere in between NVIDIA and AMD, which tend to have slightly lower and higher clock speeds, respectively. Or to put things in terms of raw throughput, this would give a theoretical 8-slice Alchemist Design 18.5 teraflops of single-precision shader compute throughput, which would be almost 9x the rate of throughput of their current discrete DG1 cards. In conclusion, Intel has access to a leading-edge manufacturing node, countless engineers, and as we've just seen, an architecture that, at least at a high level, seems to offer all the features and functionalities needed to compete and succeed in discrete graphics market. So we will be watching this over the next several months with great interest to see if Intel's arc can look up to these ambitions. Woo! I think I did a good job reading that, Dan. <laughs> and this combines several Anantech reportings. The only thing I would add on top of this is that I can confirm independently they're at least performing as well as a 3060 right now in near final silicon. Although it is far from finished, their drivers, and I can't say details because could give up sources, are 
they're just like worse than what Vega was like half a year before launch. So it's just too early to say what top mm-hmm. performance they will hit, but they're beating the 3060 already right now and showing it off behind the scenes. All right, Dan. I, I would say beyond that too, um, if, if what they're reporting is accurate, I think it's really hard to do the, these comparisons right now because all we really have to go off from their previous architectures is Intel Z and people only been, I mean, as Iris and uh, people only really uh, benchmark games on that at like medium settings, mm-hmm. 1080p and below. I tried to extrapolate what they set out. <laughs> and to me, it sounds like it, they're saying it will be somewhere between a 3070 to 3080 performance. So my guess really like 3080 top end performance. But once again, that's extrapolating a couple of benchmarks from their own. Medium. It, it, no, like uh, hardware unboxed reviews of Intel Z. I mean, uh, of Tiger Lake Z's graphics. Okay. And that's extrapolating from there using like a few games in 1080p at medium, though. So <laughs> that's not the best test. But I, I think I think they'll be able to hit high end, uh, assuming they release like a full eight F- slice. Yeah. Uh, 512. Execution unit. Now? Execution yeah, unit. F- well, now they're called vector engines, right? But functionally the same thing. I'm going to keep saying 512 execution units. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, which that's what all leaks have been pointing to for like half a year now. Honestly, if you'd go back and dig, there's evidence of it like three years ago that 512 was the number. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, at least as far as I can remember, 512 execution units was the number we heard. Mm-hmm. Other than that so far, um, it's interesting. It's kind of just like if you've been paying attention to what we've been saying and what other people have been saying for the past year, it's like most of this doesn't seem to come as a big surprise. Yeah, and I guess it all comes down to I know right now it will be at least a 3060, everybody listening. It will, at least. And it already does, even though the drivers are worse than Vega's like pre-release drivers, where everyone who followed those leaks closely heard about how just terrible <laughs> Vega's drivers were before, like like a year before release, that this is at a worse state, and that drivers are holding up this probably more than almost anything at this point. Um, and But if we look at like 18.5 teraflops of FP32, right... It's hard to exactly pinpoint what we should compare this to. Like the 6700 XT I'm looking at is about 13.2 teraflops. And it's like, okay. But then it also seems to almost be a hybrid of like their previous designs and more like Ampere and how it does. So you almost like, oh, so should we compare this to that? Or should we compare it to the teraflops of like a 3060 Ti, which is 16.2? Two. So yeah, no matter yeah. how you dice it, it should be to 3070, guys. And as I outlined in a video that came out before we recorded this podcast, uh, everything in my Z leak has come out as true. The configurations, Z super sampling, when it's launching, every, everything, uh, six nanometer node, everything is true. And their initial target was to beat the 3070. And I'm aware of samples from early this year that could have been around a 3070 Ti. So at this point, I just don't think you can rule out that at least they're beating a 3060. 
And it really could get into what we now call the lower high end. Although I want to be clear, this is launching 2022. AMD's, as we're going to cover in another story, got their own answer coming. And I'm pretty sure NVIDIA will as well. So I would more so call it a mid-range at best card because it's not launching right now, people. That's the thing. By the time it comes out, it maybe we'll be able to claim it's a high-end card for like three months or something. We don't really... We don't really know yet. So it it's not like they're shatter probably going to like shatter the world with how well their cards are performing, but if they can be in get near enthusiast level their first their first go around, I think that'll be a success if they're priced correctly. You know, to some degree it's like that's kind of what we've been saying and assuming for a year now. It's just it's just now we have something like Intel's officially come out and said everything we've been talking about for the past year. And I guess execution units are being called vector engines now. Yeah. And I mean, you know, one of my contacts who's, who's almost like a friend at this point, like gave me some perspective once and went, you know, one of the best sources you will ever have isn't trying to follow up with your other sources. It's just taking a step back, looking at public info, understanding how the company operates and going, what's probably going to happen? And at the end of the day, we publicly know that the die size of Z is about the same as a 3070, and yet Z is on TSMC 6 nanometer, not Samsung 8 nanometer. At a minimum, you'd expect them to beat the 3070 then. And if they don't, unless it uses like I don't know, 100 watts, it's a, it's not good. So it just, it should be to 3070 if it doesn't. And it would not surprise me, I do want to say this too, if Z ends up like GCN 1.0, like barely around a 3070, but as they fix up their drivers, it yeah, just all true. of a sudden matches a 3080. No, no, you know, it, it should be able to though. And at the end of the day, Intel has a massive driver team. So I would think in six months they can make big progress. I, I don't know. I just don't, I wouldn't rule out growing pains, but I, there's no reason to not expect this to be priced competitively no matter where it lands. I've always been told $300 is the pr- segment they want to hit hard. And if they charge 400 it's probably because it crushes cards way above it. Because the, the margins are there. They bought up so much GDR6 ahead of time, guys, as I've already said publicly. Like, they're planning a big launch. They have a better supply chain than really anyone can rival in this mo- yeah. industry. They've got it. They, they they can price this at, like, a 20% margin for the first gen and be happy. And that'd probably make it, like, a 300 to $400 card. And so there's just no reason to not think this should make a big splash, I guess. Yeah, and I, I guess the the it, it's hard to talk about just because, to an extent— or to guess where it will land completely because it does seem to really be organized differently than <laughs> what we're used to. And it's harder to extrapolate like what, a, I don't know what a vector engine is compared to a <laughs> compared to a, a sh- shader, which is what we typically discuss. It seems like, I don't know, it's, my, it's something like eight, but hard to say. Yeah. And I guess I'm trying to think of anything else to add. I mean, when it comes to, XC super sampling, I would just say, I mean, what they showed looks really good. And my contacts actually aren't surprised if they can beat DLSS at launch because they have the technology to do it. And Z looks like an architecture built to do this well. So maybe, yeah, you know. I mean, that they're dedicating more space to tensor cores than 
Uh, well, not tensor cores. Tensor cores. But yeah, to uh, matrix math, then uh, then uh, NVIDIA does with their tensor cores. So yeah, maybe maybe they'll have an insanely uh, strong answer to DLSS with what it, Z. XESS. Yeah. And outside of that, I got nothing to say. What they've shown off is their own pictures. I want to see hardware unboxed, look at it. Or maybe I'll get one. Again, you know, hey, if this beats a 3070 Ti with 16 gigabytes and has a better version of DLSS, (laughs) find this at launch, guys. Um, But that's the 512 execution unit if that's how it performs. I I will also like kind of leak this. I And it will be part of a bigger ARC video I'm doing that Everyone keeps talking about these other configuration. I consistently hear about a 128 execution unit die being validated around the same time that I think could get around a 1650, a 1616 performance, and they might target like 150. So this is really exciting to me as well because I think they might launch with like really high end and really low end at the same time. Well, well, they are really high end. It'd really be more like mid-range, but... And it sounds like the architect... uh, Not the... uh, the main subunit to talk about with these new cards that are coming out is the render slice, which two render slices, I think, would be 128 execution units. So, yeah, makes that that lines up perfectly with what they uh, they've talked about so far, at least. Tick Tickler writes in and he says, I trust Pat Gelsinger to sort out everything else at Intel, but could someone make sure he knows to fire their entire atrocious marketing department? How this, his contagious optimism and aw shucks personality makes him a good stand in for Jensen. And he could just roll out new products himself and be at least better than the cringy hello fellow Zoomers shit we're getting. Thoughts? Honestly, hello fellow Zoomers shit. Guys, I. I can't say direct quotes of what I've heard the marketing department saying behind the scenes and presentations, but that's basically what they're saying. Like, they'll just be like, hey, Gen Z, look at our new graphics card. Like, and yeah. and I only hear consistently, absurdly, just, just cr- cringy stuff out of how they're presenting Z behind the scenes. And that, well, Intel's engineering department seems to be taking the lead and on and firing on all cylinders again, their marketing department isn't just disconnected. It's like ineptly stupid. Like I've heard it described, and I'll talk about this probably in a video, that it's kind of like, I don't know how to put it, like 50-year-olds saying, how about them TikTok graphics cards? Like the quotes that are on some slides that I've been told are just, Wow, you guys are inept. And I don't know what to I don't know how they keep funding such a horrible marketing department, except that they're so big they probably don't notice it's not helping them at all. Like a smaller company would say our marketing's not working. Intel's so big and has so many connections, it almost doesn't need to work. Yeah, it's almost like when there's not competition or there's no way to quantify if something's working, it stagnates and isn't good. And that's Intel's marketing department. Yeah, and I- like I, I feel like it even extends a little bit into their the naming of these these uh, new graphics cards that are coming out. Like Alchemist is fine to me, but the next one is the Battle Mage. Oh, God, <laughs> I think they're uh, I think they're leaning into the the fantasy thing a little bit too much. I don't care though. Just go for it. Call it whatever you want. It's not as bad as saying hello, fellow Zoomers. I guess that's true. I mean, anyone who says Zoomer should probably be taken out back. <laughs> well, Tom, Tom, that's the official name of Generation Z, so we need to get used to it. I suppose. Anyways, though, 
QXC writes in, and he says, Hi, Tom. How do you feel about Intel Alder Lake? Are you as excited as me? Well, QXC, I don't know how excited you specifically are, although from seeing your conversations in the Discord, you're pretty excited. Um, But (laughs) I would just say, you know, it's, and I want to say this before we get to the next story, like, I've always been excited for Alder Lake. Haven't we both been, Dan? I mean, my big, well, I think my first good leak was, the net was calling it was my golden cove leak where i said alder lake could be the next sandy bridge and i that was in 2019 this has been consistent yeah. that i'm excited about alder lake i'm excited about everything coming out after alder lake and that i'm not hating on intel i'm just always been saying hey if alder lake isn't good intel's in trouble because all the way back in 2019 elite and i feel like my first good sources were intel sources like I could see that Comet Lake, Rocket Lake, um, everything up before Alder Lake was just going to be a complete shit show from start to finish. And that if Alder Lake wasn't good, it'd be bad. But I expect it to be good. And I'm not hating on Intel during those years. I just knew that Rocket Lake would be horrible right away. I just knew. Yeah. And uh, for me, it's whenever something that like is truly different comes out that, you know, changes architectures that's what's most exciting that's why like zen was exciting when moving to chiplets and stuff and that's why alder lake is exciting than moving to like a heterogeneous architecture where you know it's not just an iteration of the same shit that they've been doing for the past not forever yeah honestly with intel <laughs> yeah and i mean i guess the last thing i would just say is i i can't i really here's how i put it if you weren't and I don't like to use the term hyping up, but excited about AMD in 20, well, really in 2018, 2019, and 20. Yeah. yeah, ever since Zen 1 came out, once we started hearing first rumors of like RDNA and, you know, Zen Plus was there. I mean, like if you weren't, you know, quote unquote, hyping AMD, you were a fanboy of NVIDIA or Intel because you're wrong. Zen 3 was yeah. huge. Zen 2 was huge. Zen RDNA 2 matched NVIDIA for the first time in like a decade. If you weren't hyping AMD, you had bad info or you're a fanboy. And if you're not hyping Intel now, you have bad info or you're an AMD fanboy. Because Intel's getting interesting again. And I've never doubted Alder Lake, at least not, or I, I shouldn't put it that way. I've never been unexcited about Alder Lake. I just hate Comet Lake and Coffee Lake. <laughs> Yeah, they're all they're bad. That's why. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what else to say. Well, let us move on to the one that we've been talking about that isn't bad. Then Dan, with story number two, Intel divulges new Alder Lake details. Others leak performance, and I'm quoting here first from Anantech again, and it's another big one. But you know, this they've divulged quite a lot, people. So give me a second. Intel has promised the release of its next-generation consumer and mobile processor family, Alder Lake, to come by the end of the year. And today, the company is sharing a good number of details about the holistic design of the chips as well as some good detail about the microarchitectures that form this hybrid design. For Alder Lake, the processor designs feature performance cores based on a new Golden Cove microarchitecture and efficiency cores based on a new Gracemont architecture. The idea is that the P cores, that's Golden Cove, everybody, 
is preferential for single-threaded tasks that require low latency, and the E-Core is better in power-limited or multi-threaded scenarios. Mobile processors with ARM architecture designs have been tackling this topic for over a decade. Modern mobile processors now have three types of cores in sight, a super high-performance core, a regular high-performance cores, and efficiency cores, normally in 1 plus 3 plus 4 or 2 plus 4 plus 4 configuration. Each set of cores has its own optimal window for performance and power, and so it relies on the scheduler to absorb as much information as possible to determine the best way to do things. With Alder Lake, it gets a bit more complex, and the company has built a technology called Thread Detector. Intel's Thread Detector controller puts an embedded microcontroller inside the processor such that it can monitor what each thread is doing and what it needs out of its performance metrics. It will look at the ratio of loads, stores, branches, average memory, access times, patterns, and types of instructions. It then provides suggested hints back to the Windows 11 OS scheduler about what the thread is doing, whether it is important or not, and it is up to the OS scheduler to combine that with other information about the the system as to where that thread should go. Almost lost my place. Ultimately, the OS is both topologically aware and now workload aware to a much higher degree than before. From a design perspective, both the P and E cores are showcasing substantial improvements to their designs compared to previous generations. The Golden Gove core has a very solid IPC figure gain until, say, 19%, although the fact there are some regressions is interesting. The performance numbers Intel provided were somewhat Insane for Gracemont, to be honest, suggesting 8% performance over Skylake at peak power or a variety of 40% ST performance per power or 80% multi-threaded performance per power against Skylake. If Gracemont is truly a Skylake-beating architecture, then where the heck has it been? One harsh criticism Intel is going to get back is dropping AVX 512 in this generation. For the talk we had about no transistor left behind, Alder Lake dropped it pretty hard behind. There are still some unanswered questions as to the Alder Lake design and stuff that we will test when we get the hardware in hand. Intel has an event planned for the event of October called the Intel Innovation On event. It's not very good, really. Uh, half of Intel's naming only looks good on paper, and then if you say it, it's terrible. Um, but let me continue. Which would be the right time to introduce Alder Lake as a product to the world. Exactly when it comes to retail will be a different solution. But as long as Intel executes this year on the technology, it should make for an interesting competition with the rest of the market. And then I thank Ian Cutris at Anantech again for that write-up. Additionally, I'm adding my own, you know, kind of information and leaks I've put out. I've dug into Geek V5 leaks. And there's been a, just a ton of, like, Cinebench and Geekbent leaks coming out about Alder Lake right now. And I, Moore's Law is Dead, directly leaked that Alder Lake truly is the start of a newly competitive Intel. The i5 should beat the 5800X at everything at similar energy for $300. And the i9 is likely to directly compete or beat the 5950X. All right, Dan. A lot of talking there from me again. <laughs> what do you think? Well, I mean, it, it's interesting. Like, I think I brought that up to you when we were talking earlier. Uh, like yesterday or something that <laughs> yeah, now they're essentially putting uh, a an i5 from four years ago onto their i5s uh, as the backup thing that the weak backup. If it's if, if it's even being compared to Skylake, Gracemont is, then you would say that basically the way to think about the Alder Lake i5 is that it's the effectively 
the equivalent of if you were to take a 5600X or 11600K, take those six cores and like clock them to like six gigahertz or at least 5.5 gigahertz. And then you just also throw in a Skylake quad core i5 for fun for the background or for adding more multi-threading performance. Like that's the level of performance we're talking about. And I do want to say that openly because indirectly because people are like they're lying about core counts well whatever buddy as far as we can tell Crace Mont's as good as comet lake cores so i don't think they're lying about core counts this is not like bulldozer and i really don't see that criticism i mean they're very at least from what i've seen so far and maybe you could say well this is for a technically minded crowd all the stuff that's come out so far it's pretty obvious that they're delineating between what the core what cores are what and, you know, maybe somebody that's buying uh, buying some laptop for school sees, hmm, this has, what would it be, like 12 cores and, what, like 16 threads or whatever. And they'll be like, that's a little weird looking, but they don't really think about it. And it will give them exactly what they want. So are they being lied to about core counts? It's pretty obvious if you look Google it at all what these core counts mean. So I don't see how this is lying uh, especially compared to like the 8350, which does not have eight cores in the state of California. <laughs> right, which I wouldn't say I agree with the state of California, actually, but it is what it is. That's what, you know, that basically AMD just had to settle to get out of court. But um, yeah, I, I mean, and so I think this whole thing of like the little cores being misleading is is wrong because at a certain point, at what point do you call it a core? It is a core, guys, and it's not like it's weaker than Sandy Bridge. These are like Skylake, Comet Lake, better than Comet Lake level. The numbers I've heard are very impressive. And so if you, again, if you think about it, then look, if six cores from Alder Lake, and I outlined this in my i5 leak, because I, I didn't just want to like leak the performance. I actually wanted to show the math on how this is 100% believable. If the Alder Lake six core if each one of those big cores is better than Zen 3, then yeah, it doesn't just beat the 5600X. It'll come pretty close to a 5800X and then add a Skylake quad core on top of it. It's probably going to beat the 5800X at everything. And then the i7 adds two more big cores. That would get it around a 5900X or better. And then add four more little cores for the i9. And it's understandable how Intel's probably going to challenge the entire Zen 3 lineup from top to bottom. I don't think they're always going to win in efficiency, but sometimes they might. Yeah, the 5950X will remain probably the performance king when it comes to multi-threading, maybe. I mean, who knows? (laughs) Maybe it won't at this point. But I think the fact that they're top to bottom pretty much going to be able to challenge their lineup with Alder Lake is a significant development because that hasn't been true since, well, hasn't been that long in the grand scheme of things, but it hasn't been true for, what, a couple years now since Zen 2, maybe Zen Plus, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, and I don't really know, because I, I want to say this too, because I think some people would come out and go, so now he's just hyping up Alder Lake, and it's like, no, I just think it's going to be good. I think you're going to want to use Windows 11, although I've heard actually that their updates to Windows 10 may be pretty sufficient, actually. But like, I, I'm not saying there isn't going to be some problems at launch. Zen 1 had them. I want to be clear about that too. Like I've heard that if you leave the little cores on, at least at launch and gaming, there may be like a 5% performance drop in games. Honestly, kind of similar to if you left hyper-threading on with like Sandy Bridge, you know, Mm -hmm. like this type of stuff. But 5%, you know, whatever, that still means it's probably going to win at everything, even with the little cores turned on and multi-threading 
you know, if you're doing more than just gaming at the same time, it should be really good. All of Intel's actions to me suggest this isn't going to work horribly then. Like, yeah, there may be little things like that 5% performance loss in gaming compared to peak performance if you leave the little cores on, but that's in some games and that's at launch. And Zen 1 had problems. And at the end of the day, what we know is Alder Lake adds little cores, Raptor Lake doubles little cores, and the things I know about what they're bringing to server in after Raptor Lake, which is too early to talk about things three years away, but it, you know the things that they're doing suggest that they're almost betting on the little cores more. They wouldn't be doing this right now. They wouldn't be doing this right now if they didn't think it's going to work, guys. They're not stupid. I don't think it's just going to be some bulldozer launch. If it was, you'd see them massively changing how they segment things. They have a six-core die. They would just be making more of that then. Well, yeah, I'm like, look at look at AMD when they were stuck on bulldozer. What did they do? They pretty much didn't release uh, CPUs for five years. They like, made, yeah, they fixed it up with pile driver, and then they said, we're just going to only work on this for APUs. We're not even going to update this on desktop because it's, it's not worth the money. Which that's not quite what Intel was doing when they, since Skylake, but it's a little comparable too. And yeah, <laughs> I, if they're doubling down on little cores, like Raptor Lake seems to be suggesting, I think, I, I don't think this is a, uh, the ship being turned in the wrong direction and they need to write it quickly. No. At least that's not how they see it. No, if it was, they would have changed how they, again, and I, I want to make it clear to people, well, they couldn't have fixed everything, but what they could have done is gone, oh, you know what we're going to do? Uh, we're going to make the i5s only six cores. We're going to make the mobile products six cores, six just six big cores. We're going to use the little core models for specific SKUs, and we're going to like hype up the versions that have the little cores disabled, but that's not what they seem to be doing. They seem to be if anything, giving more little cores to a lot of their lineup than you, than even big cores and a lot of mobile. So that just tells you right there. No, they're pretty sure the little cores are going to work. And uh, maybe I'm misremembering. Doesn't doesn't one of their SKUs that they talked about have two, isn't it two big cores, eight little or yeah. something like that? Yep. That, one of their dies. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. They're betting on that then. <laughs> I, I'm assuming. I don't know whatever man writes in, and he says, hello, Tom, and guest, or possibly Fortnite brother Dan, because he does join us every fortnight. In many past broken silicons, you've alluded that Alder Lake isn't going to be cheap. Given the fact that Ryzen seems to be gaining mindshare as the gaming platform, with many, if not most, tech tubers predominantly praising AMD CPUs over Intel, finally, and rumors of a Zen 3 refresh, or I guess Zen 3D, in high rotation, how possible is it now that Intel would price Alder Lake more aggressively than a lot of people may be expecting? I'm specifically interested in how Intel plans to combat AMD's R5s, like the 5600X. Unlike GPUs, the CPU market isn't completely bonkers to the point where many Zen 3 CPUs, including popular Ryzen 5s, are readily available for purchase below MSRP, which I tweeted that last night, by the way, Dan. One month before October, all of a sudden, Newegg's got this deal for sub $400 5,800Xs. Oh, I wonder what that's about. <laughs> he goes on, besides that, I would also like to ask if you have any information on Intel's next-gen consumer APUs, possibly with new ZDG2 graphics. Love from Slovenia. Well, thank you for writing in. I, I, I'm glad this question was asked because I want to be clear about what I've meant by it won't be cheap. Alder Lake uses PCIe 5.0. Alder Lake uses DDR5. So that means the top motherboards, the platform isn't going to be cheap. And as far as we're aware, I don't think the i5 is going to be a, an overheating uh, CPU, but they're pushing that i9 hard. You're going to need good cooling, an expensive as heck motherboard, and expensive RAM if you want the most out of the top i9. That's what I mean by it won't be cheap. 
in terms of actual SKU costs, I outlined in my i5, like I think it's to be like 300 bucks. It's going to beat the 5800X. So I just don't think the actual SKU will be that bad. I just think like, if uh, look guys too, if the i9 beats the 5950X by like enough that it could even challenge the, or beat the Zen 3D refresh, if Intel's like got something that will be the best in consumer multi-threading until Zen 4, I don't know why they wouldn't charge $800 for the top i9. Why wouldn't they? But I don't think they will with the i5. And at the same time, the i5, if you want the most out of it, you're going to need DDR5, which isn't cheap. And with the i5, I mean, even if the top model of of the i5 is something like 350 bucks, like there's probably going to be what, which we've talked about this too, the KS model, which will be a lot cheaper. KF. Yeah, KF, sorry. The KFC edition. (laughs) <laughs> which will be a lot cheaper uh, and really be more analogous to what AMD always puts out because they don't have integrated graphics on their cards yeah, on their CPUs. And I also want to directly tackle people that are like, hey, if the i5 beats the 5800X, there's no way they'll charge 300 or less. Guys, I think, and usually these people put in all caps, Intel always charging more. Look at Rocket Lake and Comet, look stupid. And... Yeah, but guys, look at the SKU pricing. I5 pricing hasn't changed almost honestly since like Sandy Bridge or I guess Skylake really. Um like it, maybe Broadwell, I don't like like if you look at pricing per SKU, the i5s and i3s remain pretty consistent for like a decade. And the i7s and i9s can fluctuate, but they added the i9s after the i5s. You know, like there weren't i9s for a while. So I would just say it's not that Intel just charges more because they always do, guys. They just ignore AMD. So when AMD beats them, they're like, this is how much an i5 costs. Now we're going from four cores to six cores without hyperthreading. Now we're going from six cores without hyperthreading to six cores with hyperthreading. No matter how good AMD got, Intel was always just going to do what they were going to do year over year, and they were going to charge the same amount year over year, and they were just going to hope they can weather the storm. That's what Intel's plan is. They're not trying to charge more. They just know that their mindshare will make people buy their stuff if they make it 20% better every year until they actually have Alder Lake. Yeah, and keep in mind, me positing that they might charge like even $350 or something for that i5 that would be a massive increase in pricing already. And if it's competing with the 5800X, that doesn't sound too bad. Even no, though, I mean, I, I, you have to I, factor in the motherboards, but. And I want to so. be clear, like most of my sources at Intel are like, mm, I don't think there's any way we're going to charge, honestly, more than what we already do. Like most of them think 270 and they think 300 at most. I'm the one telling them, I think I would consider 350. I mean, why wouldn't I? Consider 350 if I beat a 5800X while using the same energy and crushing it in gaming performance. Why wouldn't I not? There's no reason not to unless, you know, the overall cost is so much higher with the motherboard and RAM factored in. But, you know, you are also getting DDR5 over DDR4. So there, there is a inherent uh, superiority there as well. And we still don't know the breakup of like DDR5 versus DDR4 motherboards. I mean, I think I reported, uh, I don't honestly remember guys, like half a year ago or a year ago that they're really kind of emphasize planning at least at first, to emphasize the DDR4 boards, but that once they saw prices going insane in this market, they were like, maybe we should focus on DDR5. People will pay for it if the performance is there, apparently. And so it's hard to predict where it will be. Like, I'm wondering if the top i9 is like 
$700 and then it require and then to get the most out of it you need to buy DDR5 which is going to be expensive and a DDR5 motherboard which is going to be like 250 freaking dollars or $300 possibly but they're like hey the end of the day, this outperforms a 5950X. You're almost getting Threadripper performance here with better gaming. You're going to pay up. But then if you want the i5 and you get a DDR4 motherboard, it's actually not held back much at all because it doesn't need the extra bandwidth. I, I don't know. Yeah, and if we're talking about people that are buying an 11900K or the those same people that would buy like maybe a 5950X, it's not like they're going for a cheap PC. Like they're fine spending what that would probably come out to like $2,500 to $3,000 on a PC. Like there are people that are fine with that and Intel knows that. (laughs) Well, and their board mark makers know that. And so they're like, we should just consider this. Um, And and then I guess another thing I would say is, and the reason, you know, a lot of the DDR5 will cost more though, is they, I don't know if you've seen some of the random headlines popping up, like Samsung and others are working on some pretty insane Gigabyte capacities for RAM modules. So, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I'm very happy with my 3950X. I'm not desperate to upgrade anytime soon. It does more than what I need. And Link Gamers Nexus says this a lot. If you don't actually, if you're not going to notice the extra performance, really, just use whatever you're using, even if it's a 6700K. It's kind of where I'm at. I'm not going to get all to like, um, at least not for my main system. Who knows if there'll be a test system with it. But um, when I think about Raptor Lake, though, going to 24 cores on the consumers and maybe allowing me to go from like 16 gigabytes to 100 gigabytes of DDR5 or more, that's something I would consider, though. You've got to, the fact that it has PCIe 5.0, DDR5, that allows for not just higher speeds, but crazy higher capacities. You've got to understand that these top i9 builds could compete with AMD's lower HEDT in some ways. Yeah. That's why they're expensive, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else to say. Like, Yeah, is there anything the, else you have the, to add about Alder Lake? I think we've been talking about it to death for over a year, and most of this, you know, the Thread Director thing was the most exciting thing I saw, because it just told you, oh, now they're taking it, they're doing their homework, which why wouldn't they? But was there anything else about the Alder Lake info that you stuck out to you? Which, I, actually, you know what, one did. If anyone wants, look through the Hot Chips presentation. At the bottom of a slide, they show building blocks for different parts of Alder Lake. <laughs> Guys, I keep telling you, Alder Lake is the first step to Intel's disaggregated architecture. When I was first told this like a year ago, I was like, really? It's just big little. But look at them. They're calling the parts of Alder Lake building blocks. This is the well, first step towards Lunar Lake. And anybody that's been, we've been talking about to an extent for a while, not specifically with Intel, but just the market in general is everybody that's been reading the tea leaves is saying disaggregation is where things are ultimately heading to with PCs. So once again, kind of, it's interesting because to an extent it's like we've to in less depth than a lot of this talked about all of this for years, to some extent for like, yeah, like Alder Lake is like the, is like one of the main through lines of this channel so far. <laughs> I it is a special. I, I've told that to some leakers before. Like, no, Alder Lake's performance is personal to me. This was my first good big leak. <laughs> this is the thing I've been saying will come back. Absolutely, all you know. Yeah. This there's something a little special for me and Dan about actually seeing this come out, and there will be even more excitement about the other things we've been talking about for so long that will be disaggregated as I'm about to cover in story number three. Moore's Law is Dead confirms Emerald Rapids info and leaks 
Intel's Royal Core program. All right, here's the write-up. On August 19th, Moore's Law's Dead decided that it was finally safe and time to leak much of what we know about Intel's crazy architectures coming over the next few years from Intel. Others are leaking things that suggest they could scoop us soon, and also a lot of other leaks appearing mysteriously on Reddit are incorrect or in need of more context. To summarize, Tom divulged that number one Emerald Rapids follows after Sapphire Rapids as others have leaked in 2023, and it brings Raptor Cove-like enhancements to a still SPR-like 64 core server chip design. So it's going from 56 cores to 64 with higher clock speeds and like a 5 to 10% IPC increase, basically a Raptor Cove version of SPR with 64 cores. It will be good, but AMD will still command a convincing leave in server with 96 core Genoa and 128 core Bergamo <laughs> around the same time. After that, Granite Rapids launches with Redwood Cove cores and around, yes, yeah, so it should be 2024, and a notable core count increase next to a Sierra Forest that Moore's Law is Dead doesn't want to talk about yet, but that is a huge deal that's a side architecture. And Diamond Rapids follows after both with a chance at beating Zen 5 churn epic chips. So, but Diamond Rapids, in addition to Sierra Force, is not what Tom wanted to dive into that day. No, the focus was on Intel's roadmap between Alder Lake and Nova Lake. To summarize, Alder Lake is the first architecture to bring building blocks in a heterogeneous multi-architecture design to desktop. Raptor Lake, then, will expand on this building block methodology by doubling little cores and hopefully mastering the thread detector uh, mentality. So, like, Raptor Lake's where they perfect the delineation between different core types. Meteor Lake disaggregates the building blocks first brought with Alder Lake into tiles with 3D stacking, and Royal Architectures then come after Meteor Lake disaggregates everything, right? So they're making multiple core architectures, working on the building block idea, perfecting it with Raptor Lake, disaggregating it into tiles and 3D stacking with Meteor Lake. Then once all of that's accomplished, they bring in the brand new architectures with Royal Core. Royal Core program was designed by Jim Keller to evolve Intel's x86 architecture in an uplift bigger than anything seen since Core was first introduced. And this means possibly doubling of IPC over Golden Cove and Alder Lake, bringing potentially radical new instruction sets in things like four-way high hyper-threading, DDR5-7400, dedicated machine learning units, and more are on the table. If possible, Lunar Lake is the first to bring some of these, in quotes, royal uplifts, with Nova Lake assuredly bringing the full Jim Keller Brit vision to the market, if you will. In other words, Alder Lake is the first step in a new Intel, a strategy towards catching up and hopefully from Intel's perspective, beating Zen 5 eventually, and Nova Lake will be the culmination of it. Having said all of this, AMD is certainly not sitting still, and they do have some crazy stuff they are working on to combat Intel on those years as well. All right, Dan, what do you think? I mean, you've known about a lot of this, obviously, because you work with me for frankly, half a year. I mean, for a long time. Uh, I don't exactly remember everything that was like you've said publicly before this. So some of it, I think, is, I, I yeah, I've known about it for a while. We don't want to talk uh, about Diamond Rapids and Sierra Forest yet, Dan. Everything else you can talk about. <laughs> all right. All right. I mean, I, it's weird. There's, I, I, I don't know how much there is to say right now because there's, it's a lot of, um, high view like uh 
ideas that are being thrown around right now, but there's not too many specifics to discuss at this point other than like we maybe jumped the gun a little bit with our last uh, news item that disaggregation is the uh, horse Intel is betting on. And I would assume in uh, AMD to an extent will also be betting on in the future. But um, saying that this might be the biggest revolution since the inception of like the core architecture is pretty massive because to an extent, depending on where Alder Lake itself goes is kind of the biggest revolutionization of uh, Intel CPUs since the core architecture. (laughs) This is the biggest uplift since then too. This is bigger than Sandy Bridge, frankly. Yeah, and a doubling of IPC in uh, over Golden Cove by what would that be? Meteor Lake or no? By the by, by the like oil. let's say by twenty twenty five, maybe sooner, so, but by then. I mean, that's kind of assuming then for there's going to be a twenty percent IPC uplift year over year for the next what uh, until twenty twenty five. So exactly, I th- I think that's believable and. The biggest uh, things, which that's, uh, once again, another thing that's been discussed forever is uh, SMT4 and, you know, whatever implications come with SMT4. Yeah, and, like, just to outline this, like, doubling IPC, because I think a lot of people are like, oh, we thought they'd double Skylake, but doubling Golden Cove is crazy. And it's like, is it? Because, like, let's look at, like, uh, I mean... Look, look at Zen 1. Let's not even talk about Bulldozer. Let's just talk about Zen 1. And then go 15% with Zen 2, 20% with Zen 3, 15% with X3D. We have a 60% uplift in four years. Maybe you could argue five, four and a half. And then Zen 4 comes out. And then let's just say times 1.25. We're doubling Hold IPC. Up. So AMD from 2017 to 2022 is doubling IPC as well. To be surprised if Intel does from like 2021 to 26 or a little sooner than that, it's not crazy, guys. And they're considering some dropping some pretty crazy stuff to try to get there. But it, it's a balance of like how much backwards compatibility, how much driver work, how much, you know, who, what do we support is necessary for a given IPC? Is it worth really going that high? Shouldn't we keep this? Which I can't say the specifics because I, I just don't want to give away which sectors have told me things at Intel. But like, All of that is to say is that this is honestly actually pretty believable to me. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get at is uh, Intel has been in a rut for several years. Alder Lake had some a lot of people worried for a while, like if Alder Lake would fail. I don't think it will anymore. They seem confident in it. And Raptor Lake leaks, which they haven't I publicly acknowledged Raptor Lake, I guess, yet. But I don't think so. That, Maybe that they would, have. I don't. I honestly forget yeah. sometimes. That would indicate that they're probably optimistic. So I, I think with those two facts in mind, this uh, heterogeneous architecture with da- later disaggregation is probably the direction they're going in. And that means they're out of the rut, the Skylake rut they've been in for forever at this point. Um, so I think assuming anything other than they are going to advance rapidly over the next three to five years is 
probably the worst bet to make. Absolutely. It makes it makes no sense. I, I mean, again, I think I made it pretty clear. You know, AMD double it is going to double IPC in five years. Intel's going is about to do it at least. Oh, and the final thing I would the reason I leaked this then wasn't just because clearly some people were gonna start leaking things that I thought I could be the first to leak. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like I was a little annoyed when I did see some weird Reddit thing pop up that mentioned Nova Lake. I was like, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> you know, and Arrow Lake too, I knew about as well. Uh, and I hadn't heard anyone else say Arrow Lake or Lion Cove, um, which I want to be very clear what I'm saying. I, when I say Royal Core, no, 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 no. Lion Cove is the name of the big cores for Lunar Lake. Panther Cove, as of now, by the way, let me be clear, as of now, is the name um, for uh, Nova Lake. Although it, it could certainly change. There's some core architectures that codenames I never leaked that were canceled. One of them that was leaked by other people was Ocean Cove. Ocean Cove never came out, guys. So, like, oh, yeah. that's why when you leak these things ahead of time, that's why it's stupid to leak too early. But when I saw this popping up, I'm like, well, I got to put things into context. And the context is the strategy of disaggregation and also hopefully making it clear that, like, neither of these companies are sitting still. The idea of, like, oh, so, okay, oh, so should I just buy Zen 3 and I have the best thing for five years? Nope. Oh, so should I just buy Alder Lake, Raptor Lake? And the, no. Upgrade when you need to, when it makes sense for you, because, and, and we talked to a friend last night who we bring up all the time, it seems, um, Brock, <laughs> who like is on an old Broadwell E engineering sample with 10 cores, no hyper threading at three gigahertz, which still works in basically every, I mean, he's got 10 real cores, so pretty good, um, but he's been wanting to upgrade for high refresh rate when it makes sense. And I'm like, look, man, just, I don't even think it makes sense to get an i9 for you. The i5 will probably have the same gaming performance and you'll be able to upgrade to Raptor Lake later if you want to on the same motherboard. And honestly, by the time that happens, you just maybe wait for Nova Lake or, you know, like every year big increases are coming. So this idea of like, oh, I bought Sandy Bridge. I didn't need to upgrade till Zen 1. That's that's not how this works anymore. You might, you'll probably won't need to upgrade. <laughs> by the way, till after Nova Lake, if you get Raptor Lake, to be clear, or Zen 4, because they're going to be crazy powerful. But the idea that you have top-tier performance, performance is innovating again. So just, I thought it was important people know that, like, as impressive as Alder Lake looks, in four years, they're going to have something over twice as good. So just only get it if you need to, which is what I'm thinking with my 3950X. Yeah, and it's just like one, like you said, four years from now, something is like, I don't two, three times better than what you have right now. Uh the way PCs work is weird, so something that's two to three times quote-unquote better isn't two to three times more functional. Necessarily, so yeah. So don't worry about it. If, you, if you're if you stuck on your shitty eight-core, I mean, uh, eight-big-core, what is it? No, 16... Shit, what is it? It's eight-core, 16-little-core uh, for or after Lake, yep. right? So... Don't be like, oh, I'm not yeah, and if like on Nova Lake, 24 yeah. core Raptor Lake, and I can get no in Nova Lakes out. Who cares? You still have a good CPU. Yeah, and if like Nova Lake is like 10 big cores, 20 medium cores, 40 little cores, it's like, oh well, like I'm pretty sure your 24 core Raptor Lake at 5.5 gigahertz is gaming fine. Yeah, oh well, I guess I'll just need to get the 200 core one <laughs> next year or whatever. They'll yeah. be up by then. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> 
Andy1299 writes in. He says, hey, Tom, I'm interested on your commentary on how Intel's, in quotes, disaggregated architecture IP differs or compares to AMD's Infinity Fabric. AMD's commentary and Jim Keller seem to suggest that this was the aim with Infinity Fabric, but IP separable down to the sub-blocks, i.e. shaders versus GPU op-blocks. Well, the first thing I would say is in an Intel hot chips presentation, an Intel rep literally accidentally calls their tiles chiplets and then goes, oops, sorry, I mean tiles. So <laughs> I would argue functionally long-term, there's the convergence happening there. And both companies know that. They're moving towards a lot of similar goals. But I feel like there's at least a difference in focus. And I i don't know how directly I'm answering your question, but this is the question that I kind of want to like, like, what is the difference? The, the difference in strategy is AMD seemed to, from the start, be focusing on dividing up what would have been a large chip, like Epic, what they said was over 1,000 millimeter squared chip, if it was a monolithic one. AMD's focusing on, here's the IO die, and then a bunch of the same chiplets. We just made something bigger than we could if we didn't use chiplets. Whereas if you look at the building blocks, I put in quotation marks of Alder Lake, what Raptor Lake's doing, what Meteor Lake will do, Immediately, it's going to disaggregate into like four or five different little tiles or more. And it's just different building blocks. It's like this one is for these tasks. This one is for machine learning. This one's for accelerating graphics. This one's for doing this. Intel seems to always have more of a hamburger for different use cases put together approach, whereas AMD's scaling up a specific type of performance. But AMD's going to do similar things. We know they're adding different types of tiles or chiplets, whatever you want to call it, like Zen 4 and 5. And we know that Intel's going to have, like, if you look at Sapphire Rapids, it's kind of just similar to how Epic One was. So, And yet they say it's tiles, but it's really four of the same thing. So, I mean, it, it's it's definitely a similar thing, but I just think Intel focuses on combining different architectures designed all over their huge company, and AMD focuses on scaling up one type of performance. Again, look at RDNA 3, as far as we can tell, right? It's just scaling gaming. It's not like, oh, there's... 20 different tiles like Bonavecchio. Yeah, and I think that, like, from the where the companies sit makes perfect sense. Like, why Intel, why AMD would have a more focus more on how how many of the same building block can we put into this one, one uh, CPU? Because they're a, were, I mean, I, they still are, but not a, to the same extent. They strap for cash company than Intel. So having, um, Essentially, what they need to make two product, two uh, different dies to make all of their CPUs is pretty advantageous for a company that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily have the R and D budget of the one hundred thousand employee Intel. That's a good point. Yeah. Also, of just like in scope and what they can do. How AMD is like, hey, we need to have a way of scaling similar chiplets across all of our products. Whereas Intel's like, yeah, no, we want to have a ton of products, and then we say this is for this customer. Arrow Lake is one, by the way, for like Apple, and they're like, we're gonna. I think they're gonna just take like a Z, a full Z tile, and they're just gonna put that on there with a little core, big core, an IO tile, and say this is for Mac. It's not that they're like, you know, sharing everything. It's that they have everything and they can build, again, like a hamburger for specific customers. I I think what happens at the end of the day, though, is I think they'll arrive at similar solutions, but they'll kind of do it in the reverse order of each other almost. (laughs) Yeah. Intel wants to have the specific things with a bunch of architectures first. AMD wants the most performance for specific markets first that can share components. Yeah. Um, which, again, it, you almost, it's almost like I'm saying the same thing backwards, but that's the difference. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tick Dickler writes in, 
And he says, is all of human technological advancement in the 21st century just Jim Keller playing checkers against himself? (laughs) Anyway, which is, I mean, yeah, I mean, I keep pointing this. Yeah, like some people are like, wait, Jim Keller made Zen and now he like made Lunar Lake? And it's like, yeah, he also made Core and also Athlon and also in uh, Tesla's self-driving and also, I mean, it like goes on and on. In a way, he kind of is, it seems, but. Anyways, the real question, when you said the goal of Royal Cove was to keep x86 secured in efficiency over Apple's architectures, does that mean on every level of scale and complexity? I can imagine it coming out ahead in servers where optimized giant tiles can be mixed and matched, but I'm having trouble seeing it for laptops and mobile devices. You don't have much room to use multiple tiles, and Apple can hardware accelerate and optimize to a T. Am I looking at this wrong? Cheers. Um... I mean, look, that's what Aerolake does, so I don't think so. But I I would say look at Lakefield. The first kind of tile product was Lakefield, which was a mobile chip. So I think the idea in... And if you look at how AMD's been handling mobile right now, it's tighter monolithic designs, but not so much with Intel. Intel's focusing on making the tiles combinable in a smaller package, I think, actually, than AMD. So... No, I don't think, I I mean, you know, it's all about making sure that their x86, like future instructions and how it operates, isn't at an inherent disadvantage to ARM and RISC-V or Apple's architectures. And I'm not going to go into how they plan to do that because I feel like I'd be saying too much, but it's definitely meant for every market, you know, and unlike AMD, it's from the top bottom up for every market. Whereas again, AMD is still using monolithic for mobile. Yeah, and you know, I I don't think Intel would suddenly now decide there to sacrifice the laptop market, which, as far as consumers go, like arguably the most important market. <laughs> yeah, Bfish thirty six writes in and he says, "I listened to your Intel segment last night and Jim's Arrow Lake leak this morning." I've been looking for a 100-watt from-the-wall laptop with competent 1080p graphics for some time because you can't use full wall adapters on a plane. This is a sticking point for me as well. I know where you're coming from. I've always liked that uh, NV13T laptop uh, where it actually lets you use like the MX graphics at full tilt. But um, he goes, do you think Arrow Lake is targeted at this market? Like 1080p, thin and light with competent gaming performance? I mean, if it's 320 execution units like Jim leaked, I think it's going to do more in 1080p, guys. But he goes, does AMD have something in the pipeline to combat it? Yes. Something like an 8-core CPU chiplet plus RDNA graphics chiplet. Uh, do you th- do I think with stacked cache with LP DDR5? Well, again, so Rembrandt's coming early next year, and that's 12 compute units for graphics plus 8 Zen 3 Plus cores. So right out of the gate, I think that'll compete with Alder Lake uh, APUs pretty well. Um you know, and I guess what I would answer then is, do I think the things like, I think it's called Phoenix, or I, I, haven't, I had to double check the graphics uh, APUs coming out after that. I mean, they're not going to stop at Rembrandt. So yeah, AMD's probably <laughs> working on similar things to Intel, but Intel's got a focus of like kind of trying to win over the market that they were kicked out of when Apple stopped using them. Whereas AMD is just kind of trying to get into all of laptop in general because they weren't for 10 years. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I mean, I, I'm waiting for a- AMD, which Rembrandt similar to this is, yeah, you like a one with like 20 compute units or something that really does just functionally 
eliminate the need to have a uh, discrete graphics card completely, which I want that. But. I want that. It's one of our favorite scenes from Napoleon Dynamite. But I, I kind of also just on that vein of like, is AMD going to compete with Arrow Lake? You know, what are they going to do with this? I mean, guys, I, I'm talking about Intel leaks right now, mostly in the past month. But I think Zen 4 is going to combat Raptor like fine. And I still hear that AMD thinks they may be able to beat it at everything, including multi-threading. Emerald Rapids is going to lose to Genoa. And I think Granite Rapids is going to be a big deal with Redwood Cove. So I think I'm the first person to confirm that. But Bergamo comes out like a year before Emerald, uh, before Granite Rapids with 128 Zen 4 cores. And Turin's probably going to go to, I don't know what, with Zen 5. Uh, I, I and I'm I think Bergamo, for those who know what I'm talking about, I won't say publicly, is almost an early halfway step to what Intel is going to try to accomplish with Sierra Forest. So it's pretty clear AMD is going to be very competitive with Intel at all levels. I mean, even Zen 3D may match Alder Lake or beat it. We'll have to see. For the next two years, AMD is going to be competing just fine and dominating in server. It's yeah. I'm not really concerned with AMD being able to compete. I just kind of see 2025 as the showdown. Yeah, and like what we're talking about right now, ultimately, is like Alder Lake being able to outcompete AMD more than a year later. Like it's right. Zen three it, came it, out a year ago, so it, it, it's a good. It's a <laughs> movement in the right direction. Unlike Rocket Lake, where they launched something that couldn't even compete. That with, was worse. I than mean, their I would argue gen. was yeah. Like, I mean, that it's, Intel's doing far better than before, but that doesn't mean they've like beaten AMD at everything at all. The Intel will have little victories now. From now on, I talk to people inside AMD that say we expect us to trade certain performance crowns back and forth for the next few years. Yeah. Stu writes in Tom. I know with Apple's fans fascistic employee policies, contacts from there behind their great wall are rare. So all I can ask then is, what are Intel, NVIDIA, and AMD expecting in the next few years in competition from Apple? Will Apple be a serious competitor in gaming and workstation spaces? I was surprised to see RDNA 2 and the latest productivity GPUs from Apple, especially with whispers of Apple Silicon with 4,960 or 4,096 and 8192 shaders. What are we missing? I mean, I don't know what else to say except look at the Apple products they've released so far that are competitive with AMD and Intel and mobile. Why would they not try to do that in HEDT, which I think I've already said they're look, working on something with 32 big cores, eight little cores or something like that for HEDT, which would suggest they might make their own server chips. And if they make their own server chips, they may try to sell their own server chips to others and compete directly with Intel and AMD. Apple has so much money, they could literally build their own fabs if they hired the right people. That's what these people like AMD and Intel are worried about, what NVIDIA is worried about. They are competing with them directly in APUs. They've got a, an architecture that's a good start. There's no reason to not expect them to try to like go into everything and kind of become the next Intel eventually. And seeing RDNA 2 in new Apple products doesn't mean they're not going in that direction either. Like mm -hmm. AMD is happy to win a contract with Apple because they're going to make a lot of money. off. And I think it. Apple will it, continue to award them contracts as long as they can make something that makes more sense than their own stuff they're working on. Exactly. Because these are two self intelligent, self-serving companies mm -hmm. that just because a Apple probably is working on some experimental graphics card that, 
isn't ready to see the light of day, that doesn't mean that they're going to stop buying from AMD and say, well, we'll put our experimental graphics card in that doesn't work well yet. <laughs> Microsoft uses Sony Blu-ray players in the Xbox. Apple uses yeah. Sony cameras, despite Sony making their own phones. These companies just want what's the best for them. The the idea of the uh, the quote unquote tech wars that were like Intel, AMD, AMD, Nvidia, Microsoft, Sony. That's like that. That's a like fan brood idea. Where yeah. Obviously, they're competitors and they compete with one another. And but, they would prefer yeah. their own products if it made. Yeah. If it was a tie, maybe. But they're not just gonna you know. But they, these people at these companies know each other. People at these companies are friends with each other, I'm sure, all the time. Oh, yeah. Uh, they tr they will trade th uh, technologies with each other when it makes sense for them to. Uh, that's just the nature of how companies work. And so, yeah, like, again, if uh, to go back to Stu's question, I mean, if Apple is making competitive APUs, very competitive APUs, and there's whispers of these GPUs and server chips, they're all worried they're going to make these, like, mega mono, like, you know, mega server APUs and HEDT, uh, you know, like 100 core chips that will just directly compete with Bergamo. Like, th that's what they're worried yeah. about. And frankly, I think they're going to. Why would it, Apple not just try to scale it up? Because if you can scale it up to server, that means your uh, laptop roadmap's not going to hit any walls for a very long time, which is the problem <laughs> Intel hit with their integrated graphics. Gosh, Reese. Does Windows 10 Professional have to be so expensive? Don't listen to that, nerd. Listen to me. You can get all the great Windows and gaming keys you need at cdkeyoffice.com. That includes Steam, Origin, Uplay, PlayStation, PC, and many other keys, including Windows, Microsoft Word, and Professional. Use the offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all of these fancy Windows keys and dashing for 3% off everything on the website. One more time, that's go to cdkoffers.com. They're a fantastic sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead. Use offer code DOSHRINK for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows products. Now, back to the show. And story number four, AMD Zen 2 had vCache prototypes. AMD wanted to use it by Zen 3's launch. I, I made this its own story because I, I do think there's a lot of context that actually adds to how hard AMD's driving for competition. But I put a re uh, little write-up here. It goes, the second half of Tom's Alder Lake analysis video was actually on an entirely different subject and a leak. In summary, the second half goes into that Zen 2 had prototypes with Vcache. This is something that Charlie at Semi-Accurate has been saying for a while now, although it isn't confirmed from Tom's end that there was any ability for the actual shipping Zen 2 chiplets to use. Use it. Zen 3, of course, as confirmed by AMD even at this point, always had the ability to use Vcash in shipping CCDs from the launch. I mean, they literally have a slide where they're like, Zen 3 accomplishes new milestones for the Zen architecture, and one is Vcash implementation. It's like, so that was just, <laughs> yeah, so that was your goal the whole time. You just wasn't ready. 
AMD wanted vCache in the original Zen 3 launch if possible. Indeed, this suggests that there is a reason Zen 3, despite not increasing core counts over Zen 2, was a comparatively large uplift. Final Zen 3D, which will launch early in 2022, will be a 1.2, that's the IPC, times 1.15, the IPC of the vCache added, equals 38% higher IPC over Zen 2. Once you add the vCache, that's the same as if there was a 25% core increase and then a slight 5 to 10% IPC bump. But of course, you always would take an increase in all IPC if you can. You know, if, you, if it's like, we're going to double cores or double IPC, always double IPC. Yeah, yeah. Imagine if the 5950 XT with X3D vCache actually had launched before Rocket Lake. And I and that's I do think this is a fun thing to talk about, Dan. I mean, what do you have to say? Well, if it did launch before Rocket Lake, I, I'm not even sure what would have happened at this point because Rocket Lake is seen as such a joke in the community at large uh, that I don't even know what it would have done. If, like, like materially, guess, if it would have actually changed anything. I guess maybe the the supreme Intel Intel fanboys wouldn't have had anything really to say. But <laughs> I mean, I think it also contextualizes a little bit of what we were talking about with the previous story, where it's like these these companies have their targets and their goals that they try to and expect to hit. And sometimes they don't and they have to, you know launch the product that they have, which right. it's not like Zen 3 is a failure, <laughs> but, no. but, uh, but it wasn't the product they initially wanted to launch. But, you know, it does show that there is their, their targets were not met, but that doesn't mean that they didn't have anything to go with. They just had to go with the ship that they were, the course they were currently sailing, even if they can't have the uh, cash until what, early next year with Zen 3D and more heavily implemented with Zen 4. And, and I do want to be a little clear about a couple of things here. Again, Zen 2 CCDs can't use Vcash based on my sources. I don't know if that's what Charlie's saying. I've kind of heard maybe he's not, but I don't know. Um, so it's not like if they would have gotten Vcash working, which they had it working on prototypes, but they didn't have it working in a way that they could mass manufacture it consistently without massive failure rates. So that's just like not worth it then. Um, they, they didn't just have it working in all Zen 2, you know, CCDs. They couldn't have just been like, yeah. okay, we're adding it later. With Although they may have considered trying to do it if they got it working right after the Zen 2 launch. They just had prototypes. Zen 3D, all CCDs can accept Vcash. They just always had that cut out there. They've been wanting to use this for a while. Zen 4 is basically built from the ground up to use it effectively. And again, RDNA 3, 3X, it was always planned to be at least 3X the performance of RDNA 1, but they didn't know Vcash would be working by the time it came out. Guys, the cache is working. <laughs> RDNA three. That's why I'm like, no, I think it actually might do around double performance now over RDNA two because now they have Vcash working, um, and we just didn't know that even just half a year ago. Um, and well, when was that? When was that prototype shown off by AMD? I don't even remember at this point. Um, mid this year. Uh, yeah. Okay. I so think it was that, June or was May, a, May or June. So a few I remember. months ago. So yeah. we didn't really even know about it until like a few months ago. Really. <laughs> yeah. Which God, so much news has come out since then. There's only a few months ago, Dan. Yeah, I know. But then again, if I say it's already almost September, it feels like, you know, 
No. Well, every year. Every year flies by faster as we hurdle closer to 30, Tom. <laughs> as, we, as I hurl into 30 and become an old man. Um, but yeah, and so I also do think that's just another important point of like, no, AMD... <laughs> And I do want to get ahead of this because I, I think people are going to say this. Oh, well, if Zen 3 always could have used Vcash, then they're just milking the market by not using it. No, 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 no. They wanted to make the 5950X a $1,000 product if they could have. They wanted to you know, charge even more if they could. And they wanted to make Intel look even sillier on benchmark charts if they could have. They just, it wasn't ready. And really that argument makes no sense. Like if they were just holding back Vcash, then the XT refresh would have come this month, right before Alder Lake. It wouldn't come the next quarter. Yeah, and I, and I don't know what market they're milking by releasing a worse product that then they, they could have made more than they would have made more money off of if they had released it. Like there's a reason you don't release it. And yeah, maybe you can make the cynical argument, well, yeah, because it lowers profit margins. But you have a better product that's gonna sell more too. And sell for more. Hell, maybe you can even sell it at a higher price than what they did with uh, Zen Three. So I don't really, I don't buy the whole this is them milking just because they oh, decided to go with a thing that has a lower failure rate. Well, and I think this story also adds a lot of context to what I'm talking about with Intel, Lunar Lake, and Nova Lake. The Royal Core program has always been based on people I've talked to about kind of Lunar Lake. But then when you see that it might, some of the stuff might only be in Nova Lake, it's like, well, yeah, they're not sure what will be ready and working well by the time we get to Lunar yeah. Lake. If they can, they want everything. They want four-way hyper-threading, you know, 100 cores, double the IPC, whatever they can do with no with Lunar Lake. They just know a lot of it's probably going to have to wait for Panther Cove and Nova Lake, you know, and the same goes for RDNA. I mean, look at RDNA 1. RDNA 1 stopped at the mid because they got the performance per watt and the performance they were looking for in the die space for the mid-range, but it just wasn't scaling efficiently past the mid-range. And so they said, oh, okay, I mean, I guess let's just get this out now and not even bother with the top end. Uh, and then RDNA 2 kind of was fixed RDNA 1 really with a few more features added on top because, again, oh, well, you know, why don't we wait for 3D stacking or Vcash? No, let's get, this is good. Let's get it out now. They get the, Everyone's well, getting out what they can when they can. And they launched Zen 3 when it was ready as a competitive product. They wish it could have been better, but some of the technology that was being designed for it had to wait. Yeah, and, you know, we say Rocket Lake's a joke, but, you know, they still had a competitor in Rocket Lake that needed to be addressed in a somewhat timely manner, or they would you know, lose potential people that would now now have a Rocket Lake CPU instead of a Zen 3 CPU. So you you need to get a product out eventually, even mm -hmm. if it's not exactly what you had, exactly what they were initially targeting. And just because they're not deciding to, you know, once again, be a charity and, I don't know, release terrible yields at a low price because you want them to, like... They're not just not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. All right, then. Let us move on to story number five. 17 new PCI IDs cited 
And this might confirm an upcoming 60 nanometer refresh of Navi 2X GPUs. And this comes both from Pharonix and video cards. On top of all the PCIe IDs in place already for the AMD GPU Linux kernel graphics driver, another 17 PCIe IDs were added in a new patch for this open source Radeon graphics driver. And he might just be adding more variants for board partners or new revisions of existing GPUs, but that usually is not the case. And we see such a large number of new IDs. I mean, 17. However, at this moment, we won't know for sure what these represent until the first products with such IDs get cited in a leak, but this seemingly confirm further hints that there's a six nanometer refresh coming as others have hinted at. And also I, in my video today said it, I said, I've been told that a six nanometer refresh of Navi 22 and Navi 23 is coming for the low end of the Radeon 7000 series, which I think we've been saying since literally the first Navi 22 leaks that this makes common sense for them to do that. And I think my RX 6490 mm -hmm. opinion video. Literally, I talked to Daniel Nenny about why that's obviously what they're going to do. <laughs> you know, so it, it that I mean, there you go, guys. And I think this is an important story just because it's like, it's not just like, oh, we said what probably happened and it is. It's like, keep in mind what Z is competing with. Let, let's say ARC is a 3070 Ti with 16 gigabytes of RAM for 200 watts, or it probably won't be quite that good, but let's say it's even that good. Die shrinking to six nanometer? It's design compatible with seven. AMD could theoretically, within a quarter, launch a six nanometer Navi 22 that's just a 200 watt 6700 XT that boosts like 10% higher, which would be hmm, pretty close to a 3070 Ti in performance. So there's no reason to assume that AMD might not literally have a Z killer when Z launches, or at least pretty close. I think it'll come out after, of course, but you know, that, yeah. that that's what you got to think about when you're like, ooh, maybe Arc will be a high end card. Hmm. It might, it might be. I mean, it's. It seems like AMD and Nvidia. These these are going to be somewhat longer generations for AMD and Nvidia. But you know, a, a refresh is what you do when you don't have a full new architecture to unveil. You die shrink it if you can, and you know, have something that's like fifteen or twenty percent better than what it was a year ago or a year and a half ago. <laughs> and it kind of sounds like that may happen with NVIDIA as well. Like maybe they'll do like some, they're call it a 3060 super and like die shrink or, or bring some early version of Lovelace like they did the 750 Ti. Mm -hmm. Although of course now what they would have made a 50 Ti, they will call a 60 super because the market's stupid. <laughs> but like you could see NVIDIA launching an early five nanometer card next to AMD's six nanometer as well. So I think this is just worth pointing out how logical of a move this is and how Intel can't overcharge if they even if they wanted to guys. Like it's not even just that they need a big a big splash in the market. They need to know that if they have a 3070 Ti for $400, what do you think AMD would price a 7600 XT at? That's a refresh of Navi 22. Probably $400 and it'll be around the same performance, guys. So, yeah, Intel might look competitive right now, and they probably will be competitive, but AMD and I guess we uh, there's no whispers or anything I really remember about what might come from NVIDIA soon, but... All those Lovelace going... leaks, you already forgot all of them, Dan? No, I'm saying within, like, the net... Like, 
that immediately addresses Intel Z. But they, even if uh, Lovelace can't come out for like until late 22 or something like that, there might be some stopgap thing that they can release like more supers or I hope they don't go with super again because I kind of hated that naming. Uh, there's a lot of evidence they may bring that back is like the mid-gen refresh that doesn't apply to the TI. Like it's just whatever they want it to be and it came out later is what super means relative to TI. I don't know. There's... I can't say they will have a super, but I can say there's a lot of whispers of super, and it's not like something super strong. It's just so much as a refresh, possibly with a more efficient version of Ampere coming before the rest mm-hmm. of the Lovelace lineup. Um, but let us then now move on to the final story. John Petty Research confirms record GPU shipments while Moore's Law Zed confirms the 3060 flood. So first, quoting from Tom's Hardware, according to the most recent John Petty Research data, the GPU market has experienced substantial growth in quarter two of this year, with over 123 million graphics units sold. Out of all PC components, graphics cards are perhaps one of the most demanded ones right now. Well, yeah, thanks, Tom's Hardware. But uh, are they turning into WCCF. I mean, what the heck was that sentence? (laughs) But to continue their write-up, with the current scarcity of GPUs still present, consumers are buying every GPU they can get their hands on. Of course, that assumes they can even find one as retailers sell out every stock they have. When it comes to the total number of GPUs sold, according to the report, notes that the sales were equal to 123 million units. That is 123 million chips being used across the globe for both APUs and GPUs. They combined them. According to the same period of quarter two 2020, that's a 37% increase year-over-year. Overall, it is estimated the annual GPU compounding rate will grow 3.5% between 2020 to 2025 to reach the total number of, is that 3 trillion that 3,318 million units shipped in that period. So, I mean, in five years. So, we're talking about massive growth expected over the next five years as well. Anyways, to break it all down, NVIDIA is shipping tens of millions of discrete cards. AMD is probably shipping about a fourth as many as them, although that's still millions of cards per quarter. And at the end of the day, you guys got to remember, it's here. There was a flood of 3060s. You could get them in stock on Newing for 500 bucks for a couple of days, and they sold out instantly. Same with the 6600 XT that was actually in stock for about a day, but I think it's because no one actually expected it to be in stock. Yeah, and I guess if you do the math on that, that's NVIDIA shipping. Oh, wait, no, that's AMD shipping over all of their things, which also includes APUs, 20 million units, graphics units, and uh, NVIDIA shipping slightly less, but you have to also account APUs. So they're <laughs> they're both selling a lot. Uh, honestly, this is more than I would have yeah. guessed. Just intuitively, I would not have guessed that they're selling like Fuck, like AMD and NVIDIA are selling like 40 million a quarter right now. Of discrete cards. Yeah, I I have it somewhere around 30 to 40 million, depending on how they cut it up. And you have to remember that I feel like NVIDIA is underreporting how many they're shipping directly to miners. I think they're shipping like a third directly to miners. So AMD is not yet. Might have a video about that soon, by the way. (laughs) That might change. Although I don't, it doesn't seem as insidious as what NVIDIA is doing. It kind of seems like AMD just to give a hint at what I'm talking about, everyone, like they might refresh the low end to six nanometer and then kind of relegate old Navi 21 stock for miners, which is like, oh, well, that's a good move, I guess. Um, whereas NVIDIA just from the start has been shipping like a third of their cards to miners, all of them. 
Yeah, but giving us the nice now hacked LHR. <laughs> yeah. 3060s. Whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think the, the fact that now you can somewhat find a 3060 kind of shows your hypothesis about this 3060 flood. Which they're already sold out. Fruition. Well, everything's going to sell out within a day. Which was like half posted. of the video was making it clear, but I'm not saying it's going to be easy to get. I'm saying there's going to be like a week where some of it's easier to get and they're all going to sell out again because the demand is just too high. More supply does not mean it meets demand, people. Yeah, and I mean, we're talking, I don't know how many of them were, these were specifically 3060s, but we're talking about like about 20 million uh, NVIDIA GPUs have been sold in the past quarter. So uh, quarter two, not even quarter, we're not even talking about quarter yeah, three. Yeah, which is only going so, up, I think. People uh, are getting these graphics cards. They're paying whatever price they're paying for them. And the fact that you can't get them easily doesn't mean they don't exist. They, they do. They mean means 20 million people that aren't you got it. Yeah, and and so... Which a lot of that's for like server and stuff too, I believe, Dan. True, but true. it's like, you know, it, it means millions of people that aren't you got the cards, dude. And that doesn't yeah. mean anyone's lying about the shipments. That's just how many are selling. I don't know what you guys want me to tell you. The data's there. That's how many they're shipping. The demand is just that high. It, and it, but the fact that it's at $500, I think does mean a decrease in the street price a bit from what it used to be for the 3060, right? So... Um, uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, it's 400 to 500 something usually. So, I mean, yes and no. Yeah. I mean, there are, they, no, uh, no, because the component costs are up in GDR6. Like, I see some people getting them for around 400, but it's like, generally the 6600 XT is still cheaper. So, there, uh, there will be decreases in some street prices, though. I think the 3090 is actually going to get pretty close to MSRP. Possibly this year, you know, stuff like that will, but the mid range is going to be a, pretty much a clusterfuck for a while, guys. Yeah, so you might as well just get that 3090 instead of the 3060. That's <laughs> what NVIDIA wants you to do. I know. <laughs> it's pretty obvious, but. Hollow Knight writes in and he says, with the supply issues of silicon wafers AMD had this generation, have they booked significantly more of TSMC's N5 than they did of N7? First of all, yes. I've talked about this, I think, a year ago. Like my kind mm -hmm. of, a, I think I called it AMD's like 2021 five nanometer war on Intel or something. Or was it, yeah, something like that where it's like, no, they're clearly making some products on five nanometer like at the end of this year, even if they don't come out yet because they, that's just they bought the wafers. But we've known this for a while. AMD bought up the wafers ahead of time. And so they probably wish they bought more now that they've seen yeah. this. You know, they bought this before the shortages. Apparently, TSMC cannot make enough, <laughs> can't make enough chips for the market. So, well, again, it's sh substrates, really. Yeah, I know. I, but I'm saying I, I'm curious if even they were able to work completely at capacity if they could satiate this market. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, AMD is always going to wish they have been able to buy more because there's no end in sight to the demand for GPUs, especially. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, the answer is yes, they have. Will it be enough? We'll see. Probably. <laughs> My bet would be probably not. 
Jake Dickler writes in, Maybe it's just me, but it seems like AIBs are just obnoxious, shitty middlemen that siphon money and don't provide any tangible value. They optimize something already optimized and decorate it to look like a fucking Hot Wheels toy. <laughs> NVIDIA could double prices for those Founders Editions and get away with it, too. Can we team up with AMD and NVIDIA to put these charlatans out of business? Well, what you're missing, though... Tick Dickler, is AIBs are honestly really important to funding the actual production of the cards. Like, they help fund filling up the wafers and, like, do their own little custom PCB designs, and they make the coolers. They buy up the coolers. They stockpile the coolers. So NVIDIA doesn't have to have just massive warehouses they themselves are in charge of, and they do all the customer support. So... Honestly, there actually is a lot AIBs do. If it made sense to stop using them, NVIDIA would. And you're seeing them move every now and then into making more of the cards themselves, same with AMD. But I, there's a reason they use the AIBs. Like, there really is. Yeah, and every once in a while, you'll see a lazy product come out like an Asus tri-slot thing that uses a cooler that's not... Even for the right card. The- <laughs> Yeah, and every once in a while I'll see that, and it's like, yeah, don't buy that. That was Asus being really lazy for some reason with this card. Um, but, I, I mean, a way to think about it also is how many uh, employees do AIBs have? Mm. Like, if you want all of that production to move into now AMD and NVIDIA, you would need a lot. <laughs> you would need because a, I think a AMD's like 12,000 employees at this point, maybe 13. Like, they are growing, but, like, Add up all the AIBs they work with. Yeah, they're not like 20,000 people. Yeah, those AIBs, they do, you know, produce the cards. They're not <laughs> they're not just sitting there buying a completed AMD or NVIDIA card and slapping EVGA or Sapphire on it. Not usually, sometimes. <laughs> not Sometimes they are. <laughs> QH Freddy writes him, is low in gaming really dead? Let's forget the shortages in 2021 and 2021's pricing problems and imagine a world with GPUs at MSRP, if you will. GTX 970s, 1060s, and and RX 570s were already dipping to around 100 bucks in 2019 and early 2020. The 5500 XT and 1650 weren't that much more. A system with a 2600 and one of those GPUs would run you about $600 or so. Sure, it's not a console slayer of it, of the latest generation of consoles, at least, uh, nor the previous gen QH, but I think it's a hell of a lot closer to a typical upper mid-range build than a 7750 or a GTX 650 build was back in the day, especially with what you can get for CPU, RAM, and SSD-wise nowadays. I mean, it's not all bad. CPUs are kind of becoming good again. Power supplies are fine, pretty much, and like RAM and SSD prices are pretty much acceptable again, but... No, I mean, look, in 2013, an HD 770 for $120 would match an Xbox One that costs $500. Now, sure, you'd remove the camera. Now it's a $400 console. And again, I don't want to get into the debate about that. People would be like, well, one was, you know, whatever. It's like, well, okay, the 7770 had faster clocks in GDR5. It if you actually look at the raw performance, is about an Xbox One. And then like a $250.7870 matched the PS4. Again, that's a $250 card that's the same performance of the entire console. That's just not where we're at now. The, the consoles right now are around a 3060 Ti in performance. And you need to pay about the price of a PS4 to get that. It, it's ridiculous. It's entirely it, a different realm. Yeah, and if when the consoles came out... Uh, th- 
I should say, when the PS4 and Xbox One came out, if you wanted to build a quote unquote PS4 killer, you probably could if you really tried to for less than a thousand dollars. You You could for about 700, I think, if I remember right, because you could get. Yeah, I mean, yeah, about 600, 700, which, you know, was, you know, but again, the PS4 came with a Blu-ray player and it was pretty cheap for the time adjusting for inflation. It's pretty crazy that PS4 is only 400. But yeah, now we're at a point where if you wanted to match a PS5, you would need to spend like like maybe $2,000. I I, I usually put it at around 1,300, assuming you get things for reasonable prices. That's true. But you probably won't, so it could be 2,000, but I'd say around 1,300. So I I think there there is a, a a pretty big shift where in 2013 you could buy a a graphics card for a little over half the price of the PS4. So it made and, complete sense to just upgrade your PC instead of getting a console if you're a PC gamer. Yeah, and now to do that with a PS5, you have to get a graphics card that's probably more expensive than the entire console itself. Right, which is kind of ins- just absolutely insane. And I <laughs> yeah. I don't know, I'm already seeing some PC gamers in the comments going, yeah, but no one's talking about how much more you can use like a 6600 XT for, even if it's a little weaker than the consoles. And it's like, I just don't know when we all turn into peasants, dude. Like it used to be that you would expect not to have better price performance than a console, but not for it to be like three or four times worse. And you're just accepting worse performance than well, those consoles you used to make fun of. So what, who's the peasant now? You know, that's what I would say to any of those people. And look, hey man, QH Freddy, I do thank you for the question, but the 970 was weaker than an Xbox One X, you know, and the 570 yeah. was at best around the performance of a PS4 Pro. A PS4 Pro had double the ROPs and FP16 that the 570 didn't have. So we're just, no, like your $600 <laughs> bill doesn't beat a PS4 Pro in 2019. And that's a, and that's not even, and then the PS4 Pro came out in 2016 for 400. So no, I think budget builds have been kind of falling apart in terms of at least price performance relative to consoles for the past few <laughs> years, which is what me and you discovered in a few recent podcasts of just like, yeah, hey, maybe it has been. It's not that it's dead, it's just, it's been getting worse in that price point for a while. Yeah. All right. Now, let us move on then to the final wrap up here. Um, so I don't know that I want to spend too much time. I'm honestly getting a bit tired, Dan. But I will say, I mean, we do got to talk about the first article we have here in this wrap up. I mean, Microsoft. Did you look at this, Dan? Microsoft supporting some of the CPUs they said Windows 11 can't support because it's in the surface. I, does that prove our hypothesis correct that they just cut off uh, support for certain th- products in the sake of, I don't know, looking equitable or something? I think it certainly supports that argument. It, it's it's ridiculous. I, 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 it, there's no reason. And honestly, that just tells you they should have supported the Intel ones probably farther back as well. I know I've seen some arguments for why they're doing this, but... I, that just doesn't, I just am not convinced. I think Microsoft's just arbitrarily cutting off some products. And then when it's their own Surface tablet that for some reason, or Surface products that for some reason they're still using these old chips and they're just like, never mind, now it works. Yeah. yeah. I mean, is <laughs> I there really much to else to say? It's not a main story because what else do we have to say? It's just, we got to tell people about it. Yeah, it's like we said when they were cutting that support off, we don't know why they're doing it. And I think this throws another... Uh, 
th more fuel on that fire of we don't know why they're doing it. <laughs> Doesn't seem to make sense, and it seems arbitrary. Um, and then we have Raptor Lake using the same power tiers as Alder Lake. I don't think that should surprise anyone or really say much. That just tells you, yeah, so 24 cores at around the per power usage mm -hmm. of Alder Lake. So it's not like they're planning to just go even higher with that. Um, we what? finally have DisplayPort 2.0 being showed for upcoming Radeon GPUs, which, oh my God, is it about time that they started to compete with HDMI? Did any of us see this coming where HDMI just insanely leapfrogs DisplayPort in performance? It is about time we got DisplayPort 2.0. When was like the last big update to DisplayPort? It's been a while, hasn't it? <laughs> it's been a very long time. And my understanding is this still isn't really as good as HDMI 2.1, which the HDMI 2.1 supporting 10K at 120 hertz, I believe. I think DisplayPort's way behind now. And, and that's actually been a consideration yeah. of mine when I've been looking at products like the A4000. And I'm like, mm, it only has four DisplayPorts. That's a problem. I, my 3070 has just oh, HDMI yeah. 2.1. You have inferior output in this... Professional chip NVIDIA, you know, this is a problem. And even with 2.0, it'll be behind it. Yeah. <laughs> DDR5-7200 with 512 gigabyte DDR5 modules. And I've seen some people saying that PCIe 5.0 and DDR5 are just checkboxes for Alder Lake to look technologically more advanced. Uh, my uh, explanation from Intel insiders is always that they just thought Rocket Lake should have had well, they thought Comet Lake should have had PCIe 5.0, and they regretted not bringing out newer tech sooner because they usually got that before AMD, and they just feel stupid now. I don't think it's just a checkbox. I think they don't want to fall behind again, and they want to be the company bringing new tech out first again. And I don't think DDR5 is just a checkbox, man. It's going to enhance Alder Lake performance, my understanding, by maybe 5 to 15%, depending on the application. And it'll allow you to possibly support, like, a terabyte of memory in the motherboard? I mean, the motherboard would have to support that much, so probably not, yeah. but that's going to allow you to have server amounts of memory in a Alder Lake motherboard. I don't see that as a checkbox. I see that as Intel possibly serving the low-end Threadripper market AMD's ignored with Zen 2 Threadripper, although I do hear like of a 16-core Zen 3 Threadripper possibly being the thing to fight Intel's top Alder Lake, which is probably what AMD is going to do that, you think about it, but... Yeah, I just think, I don't think it's just a checkbox. I mean, DDR5 looks pretty huge, way bigger than what DDR4 over DDR3 was. Yeah, and I think these l massive amounts of RAM going forward are going to become possibly increasingly important over time. We'll see, but uh, I, I think I think there might be a, a world where people have 512 gigabytes of RAM or a terabyte of RAM at a certain point. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people like, why don't you upgrade your system to more DDR4? And it's like, I think I'm just going to wait for DDR5 to become somewhat reasonably yeah. priced and get a system that just doesn't go to a hundred, like 64 or 100 gigabytes. But maybe I, maybe I can really go. I don't want 32 gigs if I'm upgrading. I want a lot more. I'm using the same RAM I've had since Skylake, everybody. 3,600 megahertz since 2016. <laughs> 16 gigabytes. It's it's gone from Skylake to, to Zen 2. And who knows, maybe Zen 3D. Um... Intel says Alder Lake has room for optimizations, that they will improve its performance over time. Yeah, not much to say there. Exynos 2200 with mRDNA architecture. This is Samsung's APU with an RDNA-based architecture with six CUs. Performing pretty close to an Apple product, at least in some OSs, which is interesting. <laughs> this is the product that I want in a Steam Deck. I don't want eight compute units in something the size of a Switch. 
I want six compute units in something the size of like a PSP or something really portable. Assuming that can perform well, because I'm not sure exactly what these benchmarks they're showing are. At least I don't think I've heard of the benchmarks he's showing, but Uh, I have, but it's not something I would use. It's like an overarching, you know, final say on performance. But, you know. Getting close, uh, competing with Apple is, I don't, <laughs> I think, important if uh, Android people want to maintain their superiority. So, <laughs> <laughs> Igor simulates the Arc 6600 non XT. I'm not sure what there is to say about this, everybody, but the 6600 non XT performs around a 3060. And based yeah. on what I'm hearing, it's probably, what do you think it's going to cost, Dan? What's your guess? The thirty the the thirty sixties MSRP is three forty, even though it's never going to hit that. The thirty the sixty six hundred XT is three eighty MSRP. What do you think the MSRP of the sixty six hundred is going to be if it's around a thirty sixty, both eight gigabytes? Um, it's three hundred, three hundred, three twenty. Well, so the, the the first thing I said is this should obviously be three hundred, but I honestly think three thirty. I think just ten bucks less than the thirty sixty. F it. <laughs> I think yes. I think let's just accept it. And now that I say it out loud, do you disagree? Like it's, that's kind of obvious. That's what they're probably going to do, right? Yeah, probably. Unfortunately, <laughs> which who knows if I have a video coming about that. More rumors mm-hmm. coming uh, that Lovelace is on TSMC five nanometer. This really isn't new. You know, this is just one of those hours where no one had a new article coming out, so they all just quoted this, but eh, more confirmation, I would say. It seems like the people saying TSMC 5 nanometer that were right about Samsung 8 nanometer for uh, Ampere, you know, Copite 7 Kimmy is one of them, are getting Mm -hmm. pretty sure it's TSMC 5 nanometer for Lovelace. So I think that alone tells you NVIDIA can easily bring something, you know, at least, again, you know, I say Lovelace is 60 to 80% better. Than Ampere. I think a lot of people are doubting that because they're like, what? Ampere is one of the biggest ones ever. They can't just be bigger than that. And it's like, guys, Ampere isn't even as big a deal as Pascal. No, it's not. Uh, <laughs> Lovelace is going to be way bigger than Ampere. Um, and then moving forward, also the <laughs> NVIDIA next generation Lovelace. So I also want to point out at the bottom of WCCF text coverage of what Copite said, there's a slide that just kind of shows all of the next NVIDIA architectures. We have Lovelace, Turing, what is this? Hamilton, Newth. I can't say that guy's name. Sutherland, Boole, von Neumann, Le- Hopper. It's all right here. So if you're wondering yeah. what the next architectures are called, apparently NVIDIA's told us, and WCCF Tech just pointed this out from a 2018 keynote. I mean, I, there's not much to say on it because, you know, we've joked about code names, but I guess, I guess Jensen was bored and decided to tell us. Two years ago. Two or three <laughs> yeah, years because, ago. Because, like... Uh, what what are you going to do with this information? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing at all. Um, uh, and then here we go. Battlefield 2042 allows a game mode customization. I just added that because me and you like Battlefield, Dan. Hopefully a, it's a, cool. A game mode creator. And final story of the wrap-up. We had quite a lot of those, but there's been a lot of news. Musk might oppose ARM, according to multiple sources at Bloomberg. I, I, the ARM acquisition by NVIDIA. Yeah. I, I just... <laughs> I think some people are too sure that the deal is going to go through, and some people are too sure it's not. I just think there's a lot of evidence that there's going to be a fight against NVIDIA buying ARM. A lot of people. The UK government, apparently Elon Musk, although who knows if he's just trolling this guy. A lot of people are opposing this ARM deal. People who work at ARM themselves behind the scenes are kind of doing what they can to stop it. 
And and again, I want to bring up the UK government thing. It's kind of like a defense security thing that the UK would want to keep arm inside the UK. I know technically they're owned by like a Japanese holding company or something right now, but NVIDIA is planning to move the jobs to the US and the UK doesn't want that. There's a lot of people that don't want NVIDIA to just absorb ARM. Yeah, I, I mean, I think everybody that isn't NVIDIA doesn't want it to happen, but but there, there's going to be a lot of opposition. And I, I think when we talked about it, I think that on the last episode, England it, the British government not wanting it to happen is, might be instrumental in it not uh, being uh, pushed forward, but we'll see. Yeah. All right, Dan, that is the wrap-ups. Let us move on to the final reader mail questions. Timo writes in, question from Broken Silicon 109. The guest mentioned that in up to 40% PC performance gets wasted compared to consoles. Isn't the solution then to hire an army of engineers and a GPU company to create custom game code for each title one by one? If so, this sounds very much like games as a service payment model. Uh, we buy a physical GPU from a store and then they just have to pay programming it for every single game. How much over MSRP are we paying for our GPUs compared to other components in like a console in an indirect way? In this golden age supposedly of automation, it's shocking that this is still the norm in PC gaming. And all I can say is, man, I don't know what to tell you. When a dev like someone at DICE, we just talked about Battlefield 2042, is told they need to optimize their game for 100 cards. They'll optimize it for a few architectures, and then they're like, we can't do all of it. And I think DICE actually does go out of their way to optimize better than most devs. But there are some devs, especially indie devs, that just don't bother, and it's up to NVIDIA to make it work. Well, yeah, and that's the problem. That's the major problem, and like the thing that attracts people to the market is there's hundreds of options, but that is a pain in the ass for programmers. And a lot of them, I the people at like the game devs won't bother to optimize for some of these architectures because, like, why would they? It's more incumbent for AMD and NVIDIA to have performance that's really good, well-optimized performance all the way across the deck if, you know, they want to keep selling their cards. Yeah, and at the end of the day, these are just more general-purpose products. That's why they're such an, in such high demand. They be used for mining, rendering movies, all different types of math and machine learning and gaming. And so it's just worth it for AMD and NVIDIA to go out of their way to make it work in all these applications because they just kind of have to. I feel like some of this needs to be done in a way, if it can, to not, it'd be wrong to say to make devs do their job because I don't think you should expect them to do this. Um, yeah. I, but I would say that there should be more done to make it so that you don't have to do optimizations per game. And that's at least the idea with like DirectX 12 multi-GPU, which we'll see if that ever works. I think we got to give it another year of DirectX 12 becoming the standard. Anthony Greffa at Tweaktown was reaching out to me and being like, I'm noticing more and more games scaling really well with not bad frame pacing right now with like AMD GPUs. Even no one's talking about this. So we'll see. Maybe that's an example of how NVIDIA and AMD are like done trying to optimize per game. But otherwise, it's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. 0x000FF4 
which I think, I think is a Windows error code or something. It goes, hi, Tom and Dan. Will we see some massive improvements in the monitors in the near future, at least in des- by December 2021 or this coming spring? I was wondering if I should wait to buy a new monitor or if the improvements will be marginal or linear at best. Also, can you recommend me a new monitor up to $1,000 if I did buy now? I'm looking for 144 hertz 4K with high contrast ratio and good colors. The reaction time is actually not that important to me. Well, I would just say if you look around, monitors are basically just better versions of the 4K 120 Hertz Concept D that I bought a year ago. And I got that mm-hmm. because that was just a cheaper version of what we had a year before that. You know, you had these first 4K 120 Hertz monitors from Asus and such that were just like two grand. And I would laughed at them. I'm like, why the hell would you get this one? An OLED TV is the same price. And then a year later, already, there's just those rapid month over month price drops because they were massively marked up because it was first movers. And yeah. my 4K 120 hertz Concept D was like 850 bucks, I think, a year ago. And now you can get 4K 120 or 4K 144 hertz monitors with HDR 600. I only have HDR 400 now for under 700. And I would just go, ah, buy it if you want to. Like, if you want to get a 4K 120 hertz monitor or 144 hertz again with HDR 600, which isn't great, but is noticeable over non-HDR for like 600 bucks, I don't think waiting is going to be really that worth it if you need it. And at least it's half the price of like an OLED LG TV. At least I don't feel like you're being ripped off. Yeah. And, you know, I guess I'm I'm not like in, in the market looking for a, a new monitor right now, but I kind of am. So you kind of are. Yeah. Let me look at Newegg here. If I find one, uh, I'll be happy to recommend one that, you know, I like when I buy it. Where? There it is. 120 and 144 hertz. And then let me filter it again to be lowest price. What do we got? Okay, we got a Viotech, an Acer for 700. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, look at this. Yeah, so you're looking at like if you get a good deal, 800 or less for basically something, a better version of what I have now. I would say that's cheap enough below what is in my, uh, like an LG OLED for like $1,500 or $1,200 that this is worth getting if you can't fit that TV on your monitor. And that I just feel like this is going to be the standard for the next year and a half, unfortunately. I believe there are OLED monitors coming out this year, but they're going to be like three grand or something insane. So I would just get this now if you can get a good deal. And I found a good deal on Concept uh, a Concept D a year ago for like 800 bucks. I'm sure you can find something equivalent to what I have. And I just go look at my monitor review. I basically tackle this question directly. I'm sure you can find something close to what I have for like 600 now. I just get it. I, yeah. I'm not going to give you an exact recommendation though. Asus, Acer, you know, they're all pretty good. Just look at reviews. Yoda King writes him, Tesla AI day just came out and I don't really understand any of what's being said. Have you guys seen the Tesla AI Day presentation? And if so, what are some of your takeaways? Are you guys impressed by anything in particular? Did you look into this at all, Dan? Looked into, uh, I looked into it a little bit. I think the th- thing that stuck out the most was the the uh, chip that or supercomputer they're using for uh, doing their AI training. That's like uh, one exaflop, I guess. That's pretty big. Um, I don't know what else to say about it other than that. I mean, I'll say I, I think a lot of the Tesla AI stuff is 
kind of just meant to be flashy and get a headline like that. Yeah, I looked at the humanoid, humanoid robot, robot thing. Uh, that's It's like, I, what, what use does this have? I don't want that to exist, if I'm being 100% honest. Like, I I don't know what... They can't even... I, I, I test drove a Tesla the other day, and it couldn't even correctly stop at red lights every time. So why? Yeah. how they're going to have some humanoid robot walk around correctly is beyond me. And now they have the, uh, the issue of them... Uh, careening into emergency vehicles that are stopped on the side of the road. That's they come just out hate a it. problem recently. Yeah, apparently uh, uh, they don't like cops. Apparently, you know, <laughs> there's some jokes so, there we, me and you have been making about what Tesla's AI thinks about. Yeah, we won't get into that. <laughs> but it, it, it's just like, it, it, sure, that, that computer they made, the supercomputer they made is impressive, but show me the result of how well it's, I don't know, training AI to self-drive because... From where I stand, sure, self-driving is way, way, way better than it was 10 years ago. But <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I don't want to get in a car that self-drives. And there'll be some I, people I saying you're yet. like a Luddite and you're like not listening to what's happening. And it's like they're, they're ramming into cop cars, man. So like until it's completely proven. And I don't even really buy this argument of like, oh, it's but it's safer on average. I mean, maybe then like. I've seen, I tell you, Dan, some of the people driving around Nashville are like the worst drivers I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I don't know what's I've going seen, on. I'm sure it's better than a lot of them, but. I've seen a person on the highway uh, go over four lanes of traffic and then pass someone on the shoulder. So, yeah, I've seen some stupid things before. We're not saying humans are perfect, but I don't do that. So, <laughs> and I know some people would yeah. say, well, you know, you're making the argument that you're whatever. I just, they're ramming in. We're not quite there yet. I think we will get there within a decade, but I still think that's what it's going to be. And so, you know, and full disclosure, I own some Tesla stock, so it's not like I'm a hater. Quite the opposite. It's just a lot of this I'm not seeing much. The biggest takeaway is I want them to improve the self-driving. Everything else is buzzwords to me. Yeah. Dick Dickler writes in, and he says, which console would you say has the superior cooling system? What generates more heat? The pixie dust Mark Cerny sprinkles on the PS5 SSD or the higher velocity the Series X architects are traveling at? Honestly, I think we already talked about like the cooling thing in the beginning. We don't have much to say about like the new redesign of the PS5 with different cooling. As far as I can tell, talking to sources, there's no big problem here. It's just cheaper to produce and they've managed to make it work with a smaller heat sink. Both are fine. Both consoles have decent cooling, and I don't, this is one of those things where it's like, I don't think I'm going to say more because the differences are not worth talking about with what the fanboys will make out of what I say. I, uh, I would say as far as both consoles go, it seems like both of them are pretty well built compared to previous generations overall. So by far, I think the best built consoles of any gen I've seen in my life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's, uh, you know what? And on that note, I know there's going to be an Xbox Series X fridge. I kind of want it. I, I actually think I might buy it, Dan, for keeping up the, here in the office. The series, the Series X, it's a nice looking obelisk, and that's a it's a nice looking fridge. It's a nice looking fridge, and I think it'd be funny if I had a Series X fridge behind me. I think that'd be good. <laughs> so that's what I'm looking for. I expect its cooling to be excellent as well. Anyways, that's about all there is to say, Dan. It's a big couple weeks of news. It's been a ton of videos I put out. <laughs> More on the way. Any final words for our mini, mini fans? No, I don't think so. Well, I would just say to all the listeners, as usual, 
If you're listening on YouTube, remember that you'll get this early and ad-free if you su- support us on Patreon, that that is the basis. That is what makes this possible. That's what pays me, pays Dan, pays Gerard. Um, and that it really also helps if you subscribe to the Broken Silicon on your preferred podcast app and give us a review. We're starting to climb in the Apple podcast charts again, which and the Stitcher charts, the Spotify charts. That's a big deal. That, that got us noticed by a lot of people that aren't on the YouTube channel. So just remember that helps if you subscribe and review us there. And um, otherwise, I don't know. I mean, again, you know, thank you so much for the support. Remember, patrons can write in reader mails for us and guests and get exclusive podcasts every week. And uh, I don't know. We did it, though. We did it. Stay safe out there, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Laws Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Laws Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Telos, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lina Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Akwari, Frederick Lau, MetroCorp, Justin Paris, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Drita Full, Phil S, D31337 Antics, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, Josh Law, JBG, Travis Gooding, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo King Kilo, Fatboy Deeseru, Daniel Hyde, A Guy in PA81, Nathan Mose, Coladic, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, Matthew Landavazo, My Name is Nobody, Judson N, Alethros, Jensen Wang, Hey, there's a kitty. Greg T. Wanchuk, Ivan214, John Jameson, Benjamin Cannon, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jan Rauner, Chris Licata, Michael McGee, Allie Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, 
Patrick Groh, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Anthony Gareffa, Joaquin Hagen, Total Silas, O'Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S. Blake, Aaron Keith, Gregory S. Acker, Endless Loggins, Tom Sanfilippo, Justice Brennan, Zoot Suit Taylor, Trevor Powers, Stu Alenia, Nanyan, Daniel Nishbal, Franco Frederick, Dan Galinowski, Alex Karasteel, Dark Rain 2049, Leighton Perry, Joseph Caraman, Brett Summers, Judd Y, Donovan Russell, Noah, Nicoella, Slicky, Matt Porchegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Hulum, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Konois Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Phil, DeHuhu, Sarah Light, Mitchell Pell, Brett Summers, Eddie Del Castile, Joseph Flora, Luis Correa, Deke, Cheesy Ramen, Tyler Lindley, Tim Robbins, Jake Dude 23, Brian Riggleman, Justin Gower, Caillou, Mark Kelly, Dave McCoy, Valko Malev, Gabe Langner, Rodney, Hyluk, Zuza, Michael Deaton, MJB1, Maurice Courtois, Wesley Sager, Scott Ruff Schneider, Mai Sharona, Y. Trui, Roman William W. Draper, Air Rats, Wakir Khan, Henry Zhang, Stefan Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg Peter Moore, Amiable Chief, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Samuel Loss, Kevin Chin Shakir, Nick Rakin, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, Arpit Sharma, Meat and Pork, Jimmy M.G. Mads, Gordon Freeman, Benjamin Oshley, Z. Jitz, Shield TV Couteau, Aaron John Wissink, Sam Venzel, Mark Mitchell, Bruta, Jeremy. So, James Anderson, Jesse, Jess Kowiak, A.N. Clifford, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs> <laughs>